0: This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. July 13th, 1967. Two young men were traveling west, down Sit Road, in the northeast of Ohio. Both of these men were Navy veterans, one of them being a specialist in radar communications. But neither of the two were the type to be easily frightened by something unexpected. However, this was about to change. 11.26 PM. As their car casually winded down the road, the two men were suddenly confronted by a blinding source of light that appeared in the middle of the road in front of them. The two shielded their eyes as the driver swerved left, attempting to avoid the seemingly solid object, but they could not make out any lines of a craft. They skidded over 70 feet, but as the two men braced for a possible collision, they were met with silence. The car had stopped, and the two slowly got out and realized there was nothing in sight. There was nothing in the road. Although physically intact, they were certainly frightened, and the two quickly made their way to the nearby town of Waterville, where they telephoned police to tell their story. Shortly after, the State Highway Patrol would head back to the location of their encounter, attempting to find any evidence of what happened. However, nothing of note was discovered until shortly after the incident, when the driver of the vehicle claimed to have found a strange metal substance that he had retrieved from the road later on. The very same substance that would also be found in small traces on the car itself. Leaving us with the questions, what could have left this behind, and why? The UFO phenomena is a complex subject, and one that almost always leaves us with many more questions than answers when examining various cases involving trace evidence of an encounter. However, it also opens doors and minds to new possibilities of discovery. Tonight, we dive into multiple UFO accounts throughout history where strange materials have been left behind. Events that to this day have left researchers perplexed and leave questions wide open as to what produced these substances and how they got there. Join us on Into the Portal as we discuss UFOs, interdimensional theories, and take an in-depth look at the analysis of prominent UFO researcher Jacques Vallée.
1: Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray.
0: And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back, everybody. Mm
1: -hmm. So we
0: are here tonight covering yet another, well, I shouldn't say another, because we're actually getting into a few different sort of tales this evening.
1: That, and we are kind of going down the rabbit hole again with Maury Island, because that is one of the cases we're going to be bringing up. So, yeah,
0: it was very fitting that we continue on with this UFO train uh, because mm-hmm. of last week's Mori Island and then this, it sort of just popped up in this uh, in the research for this week. So it did meant to be.
1: Before we get into all that though, uh, just some general housekeeping, we wanted to give a shout out to Dan.
0: Dan. Dan the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. We had a review uh, from somebody actually right here in our own town, uh, Dan Crema, So it's a Facebook review and it's five stars. It reads: In the sea of pedantic paranormal podcasts, Amber and Andrew shine brightly as educated and entertaining guides into the weird and unexplained. Oh, this is my go-to road trip podcast. Always entertaining and educational. Keep up the great work, you two. Sweet, hmm. that's awesome. Thank Thanks, you so Dan. much, Dan. Appreciate yeah. it. And uh, yeah, keep those reviews rolling in, people. It, we it honestly makes our day. It's the best. Oh,
1: it does. You know, there isn't. Uh, there isn't. Well, we haven't got very many negative comments. We definitely did get one this week, though. Yeah,
0: we did, as a matter of fact.
1: Um. So yeah, it was a two star uh, from our U.S friends over on the itunes yeah um yeah so that was kind of interesting he didn't really have much to say all he said is that we're too bubbly and it's off-putting
0: apparently we're too we're having too much fun
1: and he pigeonholed us too he said it was a paranormal podcast and sure we do touch into paranormal realms we describe ourselves more so as historical mysteries myths and legends that type of thing yeah but, but so sorry. Uh, we promised you more <laughs> doll, less passionate, yeah, and uh, more
0: of this. Just you know, just a, a little more
1: Eeyore esque. Um, no more jokes. <laughs> no so more jo-
0: yeah, Amber's jokes. already on that train today, guys. In case you can't tell, she's uh, mm. she's uh, she's got that demeanor down pat. So
1: well, you know, we just gotta give people what they want, right?
0: <laughs> Apparently.
1: <laughs> Apparently. On the flip side, though, uh, we did want to give a shout out to the fine people of Boardman, Oregon. Yes. Because I, yeah, in um, curating the website, I definitely take notice of where we get hits, and we've had a lot from Boardman, so we appreciate that. Yeah, and it looks definitely, like such a cool town. Yeah, yeah, well, I did a little bit of research. It's in Morrill County in uh, Oregon. And it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to visit. It's right on the Columbia I River. I love
0: Oregon in general. Like the whole... It is one of my it's favorite states. gorgeous, right? Yeah. Rockaway
1: Beach, one of oh. my favorite spots. Yeah, we
0: have to go. We definitely have to go. Maybe yes. we, Maybe one day, if we're ever feeling up to it, maybe we can do our first ever live show in Boardman. If that's where we've got <laughs> lots of fans. there, <laughs> Let us know, people in Boardman.
1: Either way, yeah. yeah. And it's actually kind of fitting because I did look into some of the main industries and uh, coal is predominant in Ah. that town. It's quite small. I think it's under 3,000 It was in and around there, yeah. Yeah, and it actually is quite relevant to some of the things we're going to be talking about because some people do point to perhaps coal plants or factories perhaps being a possible explanation for these materials left behind that we're going to discuss.
2: Yeah.
1: So... Yeah, that so was kind of our housekeeping, and yeah, let's dive into this now. Sure. Uh, so,
0: I mean, the the crux of the episode is sort of, um, we're going through this work that's been done by uh, none other, like Jacques Vallée. So people who are familiar with ufology and the field will definitely know this guy's name, obviously. Mm-hmm. Those who aren't might not. Um, but let's give a little bit of background on Jacques Vallée. Well,
1: yeah, like who he was, what he accomplished, his ideas, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is just straight from Wikipedia. I just pulled it up because so that's just a quick reference. No worries. But yeah, I know. So it describes valet as born on uh, September 24th, 1939. Um, described as a computer scientist, venture capitalist, author, ufologist, and former astronomer that currently resides in San Francisco, California. And he's a very important figure in the study of unidentified flying objects. Uh, he was first noted for a defense on the scientific legitimacy of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And later, he kind of switched gears and he started promoting the interdimensional hypothesis. So that's kind of like the flip side of the coin, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's obviously my jam, because I always yeah. kinda tend to lean over in that direction. So yeah, oh, yeah. I mean... Into he's... the portal,
1: right? So yeah. anyways, we didn't really... We don't have a definition of extraterrestrial hypothesis, but I think people definitely get the general idea. Yeah. It's just the idea that obviously beings <laughs> are coming from another planet, right. and they are uh, traveling vast distances to reach our planet, and then are manipulating or spying on us, or doing all sorts of weird experiments, perhaps, yeah. abducting people, who knows? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think that's where people get into the idea of obviously looking at different races of, of, of extraterrestrials, and that and that matches up with with exclusively the extra hypothesis because they're coming the from different yeah. yeah they're mm-hmm. coming from different places right, and that's why mm. there's reptilians and there's greys and there's different things like that, but we're not really getting into that for this no. episode. No,
1: more so what we're kind of going to be discussing is
0: interdimensional hypothesis,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, along with obviously like Amber said, the analysis of. The some really fascinating materials left behind from these events. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to talk about that because, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of it's very strange. So
1: odd. just on the flip side of that coin, though, right. um, interdimensional hypotheses. Yes. So that would be um, a more terrestrial origin for right. the, this phenomena, right? Yeah. Uh, again, so, yeah, it's kind of the opposite of the extraterrestrial and the idea that, you uh, these related events involve visitations from other realities or yeah. dimensions that coexist separately alongside our own right mm.
0: right and that would explain well <laughs> explain but that that's that's why the interdimensional hypothesis has been brought on here and why Jacques Vallée has started to well in the later part of his career has sort of argued for this is because the materials that we'll be talking about tonight often are terrestrial which is fascinating they're also. They're not
1: extraordinary. They're not. Yeah. Means. So it lends it lends
0: to the belief that things are happening right here, right in front of us, possibly that we don't see all the time. We only see things sometimes. Mm. But yeah.
1: Yeah. So I thought this was interesting. I I pulled this off the Wikipedia again too, just looking into general general specifics of the international <laughs> hypotheses, just right. to uh, be be that person <laughs> <laughs> anyways there was this one uh, sort of idea put forth by hillary evans and it was kind of interesting because he argues yeah. that the idh or the interdimensional hypotheses is um it's kind of advantageous in the idea that it can explain the apparent abilities of ufo to appear and disappear from sight and right. radar from right. our senses and from our instruments that type of thing So this could be explained as the UFO entering and leaving our dimension. So materializing and dematerializing. And then moreover, he also argues, or she, he, Hillary. I had a feeling. I know know it's
0: Hillary, but I I got the sense that it was a guy. I think so
1: too. Um, Evans argues that, this is a quote, that the other dimension that if sorry the other dimension is slightly more advanced than ours or is our own future this would explain the ufo's tendency to represent near future technologies such as airships in the 19 sorry 1890s rockets and supersonic travel in the 1940s etc and then kind of just you get these new waves these new sort of uh almost seems like a new era
0: yeah and right? it's always just sort of well not always necessarily but it's yeah it's just sort of just slightly ahead not mm-hmm. not not vastly like thousands of years uh technology uh, you know in technological advances ahead but just sort of these these periods you know that match yeah. up with different sightings almost
1: like flare-ups too and then it'll back yeah. down for a little bit and then we'll get this thing but my favorite idea is like exactly like you said right that it could be us from the future so this idea that we are experiencing echoes and even John Keel, like he is a big proponent of this, and he definitely ties it into ghosts and demons, that type of thing. Okay. As As furthermore, like um, similar things, right? If you think about it, like a ghost could be an imprint from the past, an echo from the past that is continuing further along right. that line of time and right. space and all this kind of thing. Yeah. And could explain, yeah, exactly. Like the um, the non the like half form sort of. Uh, I don't even know how you would describe, like, the psyche of, or, like, the imprint, right, yeah, that type yeah, of yeah. thing. Right, yeah, like, it's
0: not, it's not a completed thing. It's not, like, an exactly. <clears throat> established, mm-hmm. t- like, completely tangible thing.
1: And then also, I thought it was interesting, just in the idea, because we've talked about uh, a number of cases involving pilots mm. um, that experience things while they're in the air, and things that can or cannot be detected by radar or are sporadically detected, that type of thing. And obviously, you have to consider the mundane explanations of radar interference um, from, like, scattering or precipitation, that type of thing. Yeah. But I feel like that doesn't go the full,
3: the no, full it, gambit no,
1: sometimes. It, like, you know, in those 0.01% of cases that just just cannot be explained.
0: Sure. And, of course, like, the one that comes up to mind right away is the Felix Moncla um, oh, yeah. from, from yeah. our Great Lakes Triangle, our part two. And... Uh, completely disappeared from radar. There was the second object that had, mm-hmm. had clearly had uh, interfered with his craft, and we've had explanations that it was maybe a flock of geese or maybe it was different <laughs> things like that. Or and,
1: precipitation again. Or
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but these things can't explain everything, obviously. And uh, I always find that fascinating when something isn't on radar, or there's these because we have these checks and balances for seeing if something's actually there, and radar is one of them, but. Naked eye is another, right? And if it's there one minute and gone the next, that's really interesting. Seemingly
1: neutral forms of technology that would be able to detect, either in the form of, like, electromagnetic wavelength patterns or, I don't know, something. 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 So, anyways. Yes. That's kind of the premise of the episode. Yes. And we're going to be using an article written in 1975, sorry, by... Um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, it was in 1975. <laughs> it was 1998. Yes, yes, right. Um, the physical analyses in 10 cases of unexplained aerial objects with material samples. Um, this was written by Jacques Vallée. Jacques...
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I'll kind of go through the, like, just the the abstract of it, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a super loaded abstract.
0: Yeah, I mean, essentially what it is, is it's a survey of 10 cases of unexpected aerial phenomena, so UFOs, accompanied by material residues. So very Mm. much like, and the Maury Island case is included in this, (laughs) but very much like last week's episode, where we had this very bizarre ejection of a liquid-like substance that ended up in potentially a slag-like material that was analyzed by the FBI— Mm-hmm. no report was ever released from the FBI on the analysis of that substance.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And the idea that there's these two categories, right? right so the Maury right, Island right. is actually pretty perfect for this because yes. it illustrated both. So the idea that there are these light materials of high conductivity, such as aluminum. Right. And on the flip side, slag like materials that are reminiscent of industrial byproducts. Uh, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So that which, yeah. So just like the Maury Island case.
1: I love how he's just really, um, he's, he has a, a very succinct methodology to all of this and mm-hmm. he is using um Hynek's, like he's inspired by hynix sort of system classification system of close encounters right, right. which right. uses simply numbers but he's expanded this quite significantly yeah yeah there's these four criteria let's just get into that first okay so, because he's not just pulling cases out of thin air. Right. He's not just pulling things that he's wrestling under internet, and now all of a sudden he's just like latched onto it and that's whatever. But he definitely he has 10 cases that he goes through and he has these four criteria. So number one would be that the literature gives sufficient ground to support the fact that an unusual aerial phenomena has occurred. Two, the circumstances of the actual recovery of the specimen are reported. Mm. Three, there is data to suggest that the specimen, specimen sorry is in fact linked to the observed aerial object, and four, physical analyses has been performed by a competent laboratory of known reliability. So he he has criteria. He's not just like, you know, what it's I mean? not willy nilly. No, exactly. Yeah, and so in conjunction with this criteria, he has sort of like a. We put it up on our Facebook group, actually. If anyone's not a part of that um, Into the Portal podcast forum uh, group on Facebook. Yeah, we we posted it last week just in relation to the Maury Island incident. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I said, it is inspired by Hynek and he expands his system. He gives each case a type and a category.
0: Right. So okay, so the the types of methodology that he essentially goes through is the categories to which the typology is applied rather <laughs> is
1: the classification. It's the
0: classification, sorry. Okay. Um, is would be it starts with C E for close encounters. Okay. MA for maneuvers, trajectory, discontinuity. What exactly? Would that
1: so that be, just, it's exact, non-ballistic motions, right? right? So it's okay. not just a flyby, which is the next category, okay. FB.
0: FB, flyby, so no observed discontinuity of flight, just straight whew,
1: mm-hmm. past.
0: And then AN for, a sim- for simple anomalies in which no UFO was reported, but unusual lights or unexpected entities fall into this sort of last grouping. So, I suppose, I mean, yeah. I mean. I'm trying
1: to think, like, sorry, I just, like, for some reason, Braxton County just popped in my head. I'm like, I feel like AN and Simple anom- Anomalies would maybe fall into that because yeah. there was, like, a ball of fire scene and then just, like, a crazy. Yeah, like the ball management. of fire,
0: but then no. But I
1: guess it could be a CE too because it is a close encounter. And they did have. They did have physiological effects. So that gets into the categories, right? Because you get the types going across and then you get the categories. Sorry, you get the types going down and categories across in this little chart.
0: Right. So there's five categories, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the first one is number one is just a sighting. Number two would be a physical effect on this is exclusive to the environment. So things like burn marks, broken branches, that type of thing. Um, Three would be a life form present or seen. Four would be a reality transformation. So I feel okay. like that is a range of things. It could even possibly apply to abductions, that type of thing. Yeah, like, like when I read. Time loss or that type of totally. thing. Totally. Or- and then, the, obviously, the fifth one is um, physiological effects. So that would involve the actual person if they experience vomiting, dizziness, um, memory loss, or any of those things. Or eventually, like, say, in the Braxton case, like, some people develop lung cancer.
0: So,
2: yeah. Who
1: knows if that was the Honestly, if we're
0: talking Braxton County, the only thing really missing out of this is the is the fourth category, reality transformation, because everything else...
1: Pretty much. Right. Exactly. But not that we're, actually not that we're talking about
0: Braxton place. County, but it is, you know. But we're actually, bringing
1: it up anyway because well, we do that. Hey, apparently. It's,
0: uh, <laughs> hey it, it, it does match up with this, right? It's yeah. a potential UFO event. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah.
1: totally. Yeah. Extraterrestrial or interdimensional. Hmm. Mm. Anyways, and another important thing that we should probably mention before we dive right into the cases themselves yeah. is where the heck is this data coming from? Where is Bellet getting his info? I feel like that's an important part. Right. And uh, it's all from this catalog, apparently compiled by a Mr. Harry, La- or sorry, Larry Hatch. I was <laughs> going to say Harry Latch.
0: Harry Latch. <laughs> that's his alter ego.
1: <laughs> and yeah, it essentially was made available to researchers and to the general public. And within it, there is over 15,000 unexplained aerial phenomena reports wow. that have been tabulated and they're in computer readable form. So I thought that was interesting, and it definitely goes back quite a ways.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and again, one other thing is that Valet isn't jumping to conclusions with this. No. Obviously, he's neck deep in ufology, that type of thing. So some people would just discount all of his sort of premises right away, which I wouldn't, because I'm a little bit more agnostic on this. Yeah. But he kind of says here in the abstract, too, just to sort of... It's almost... that's not a disclaimer, but it's just like, you know, just a statement of issue i don't know but he says here in the absence of a firm chain of evidence and of professional field investigation most cases cannot lead to a definite conclusion about the nature of the phenomena that gave rise to such specimen the materials samples but much can be learned from the methodology involved in such analyses furthermore complication of similar cases on expanded basis may eventually lead to the discovery of underlying patterns. So he's just trying to make some sense of this. Yeah, he's just trying, trying to find to, some links. Exactly. He's trying to rationalize it. He's trying to make it a little bit more um, more succinct, a little bit more easy to digest and yeah. and interpret, that type of thing.
0: But of course, it's kind of funny because it, <laughs> it's one thing to do that but then also have we have this interdimensional hypothesis as an alternative one and 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 it's and it's just it it gets a little crazy and it gets a little murky but it's like i definitely lean that way too Mm -hmm. because of the terrestrial nature of a lot of these things we're going to talk about
1: exactly and it is funny too because we it's kind of funny how we're just presented with well, in ufology, a lot of it is, like, an either-or. Are you in this extraterrestrial camp? Are you in the interdimensional camp? Right. It's like, excuse me, what if I don't fall into either camp? What if I think that this is... Well, then you're just in the conspiracy camp or you think it's um, the military, right? Because yeah. what else could it be?
2: Because
1: right. if you're going to go by what... Um, what valet is using, like you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he he obviously is very thorough. He's going through. He's trying to find, say, if an airplane went overhead that day and could have potentially dropped this material from the ground. He's yeah. he's going through. He's um he's analyzing and seeing what type of metal firms are like metallurgy firms are able to produce this type of material. Yeah. And he is noting that like, you know, like X, Y, and Z is not applicable in this because they uh for the first instance, like I think there was one case specifically where he um, he notes that all of the firms in the area that are able to produce this type of material were closed down by the weekend, and all of the material is, like, dumped. is kind of, like, bottoms up is how they phrase it. Okay. So there's nothing hanging around. There's no, no way... Like, you'd have to be really, really sneaky and really good at transporting liquid metal to uh, accomplish this, or be able to heat it up again.
0: Well, and and, and if you're, like, yeah, if the implication there is, like, maybe a hoax, like, I'm sure people yeah. will have hoax stuff with materials that would be very dangerous to work with or mm. have or whatever, but it's, like, the extent to which is unbelievable.
1: Exactly. And even in these cases, you see a fair amount of um, consistency in the type of materials presented, whether it falls into one camp or the other, like the light alu- aluminum, sorry, the light um, Alloy base or the more slag-like materials. Yes. So it to me, it's like you'd have to be really well-read, especially because all these cases, well, all these cases, but a lot of them happen decades ago. That type of thing, where yeah. internet's not around, um, centralized information on this is not around. Right, it's just isolated cases. Yeah. So Which to makes me, them all the
0: more fascinating, but... It
1: does, and it makes it a lot more harder to produce a convincing hoax. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, very true. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. Totally, yeah. totally does. Yeah, no kidding, because you can't just put it out on YouTube.
1: No. Oh. You
0: gotta spread it by word of mouth.
1: Exactly. And what if you're using... I don't even know. Like, what if you end up getting your hands on some type of metal because you have it available to you, but it's completely, like, you know what I mean? Like, totally. it's not even close to anything else that's ever been found. No. So well, we should
0: probably get into some of these. Let's things. get
1: into it before okay. we just keep rambling. <laughs> yeah, because
0: we, we're just talking metals now. All right.
1: So we <laughs> okay. got case number one.
0: So case number one. And this one's, I mean, they're all fascinating, but it's like we started last week's episode with the the premise that like this is the 1947, the Maury Island incident. It did kind of kick off the UFO craze in the United States. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were many, many UFO sightings uh, and unexplained aerial phenomena sightings like for centuries before that. Mm-hmm. This one came in 1933 or 34. It's uncertain. Mm-hmm. But this, this happened in... This is a fun word to say. Ubatuba. So this is near Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mm-hmm. And its classification is MA2. So that would be a maneuver. Uh, so like a... Yeah. Trajectory discontinuity. Like a, just a regular maneuver and physical effect. So there was uh, broken branches, I suppose. Things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway... Not widely publicized until a few decades later, until 1957, through the efforts of a guy named Dr. Olavo of of Brazil, obviously, and Jim and uh, Coral Lorenzen.
1: Jim and Coral?
0: Coral. 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 Coral, you don't see that word. That's a nice
1: name. (laughs) Coral.
0: So they were the founders of the Aerial Research Phenomena Organization uh, in Brazil there, which is now no longer a thing.
1: I'm pretty sure that organization is actually U.S.-based. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Fairly certain. Because I feel like it was a—actually, um, I could be wrong about that, but I feel as though— I And mean, they
0: sound like they have Brazilian names.
1: Lorenzen? Jim and Coral?
0: Well, Jim, not so much. Olavo. Is it, <laughs> is Dr. It, Olavo. Is it Quinn? <laughs> it's a him. You <laughs> don't pronounce it as a <him>. soft <laughs> J. Okay. Okay, no more jokes. No more jokes. No more okay, jokes. Sorry, sorry. Gotta keep it serious. Gotta keep it Monotone. Witnesses on the beach that day in <laughs> okay, witnesses on the beach that day in Ubatuba reported seeing a disc fly at the water at a high rate of speed, rise up, rise up out of the water approximately a hundred feet, and then it just exploded, shattering shattering in the air above them. So fragments of the craft were sprayed all over the place. Weird, right? Rough. like Very strange.
1: Wouldn't one, one be in that craft? Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so of course, fragments were collected and analyzed by you know people in the area because this was a very bizarre event. So was, Dr. Luisa yeah. Barbosa um, uh, at a laboratory specialized in mineral production studies was the person who was kind of the main person who had collected and was going to study this stuff. They identified the major component of the specimen as highly pure magnesium, mm-hmm. more pure than most commercially produced magnesium, but you know it's not a, not an impossibility. Mm-hmm. It was not quite as pure as uh, sublimed magnesium? Is that...
1: (laughs) It was kind of a weird phrasing, yeah. It says multiply sublimed magnesium, and that instantly confused me when I first came across this. So I did do a little bit of, um, like, searching as far as definitions for this stuff. So sublimed magnesium. Okay, so let's just start with the sublimed part. Sublime in chemistry terms is defined as... um, a element or whatever, something on the periodic table.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is
1: able to change directly into a vapor when heated. Hmm. Typically forming a solid deposit again on cooling. So what they're saying here is that this magnesium was not quite as pure as sublimed magnesium. Meaning okay. it wouldn't quite change to, directly into a vapor when heated. It would still have that sort of um, that liquid form liquid too. Stage. But very pure. Very, very pure. So I thought that was interesting, too, because when you get into these accounts, a lot of the witness testimony says that they see this liquid ejected and then it cools rapidly. Usually there's a steam involved or a vapor of sorts, that type of thing. And so... I thought that was interesting. And then, obviously, the definition of magnesium is just a chemical element of atomic number 12. It is a silvery white metal of the alkaline Earth series. Mm -hmm. And it is used to make strong, lightweight alloys, especially for the aerospace industry. Yes. It's also used in flashbulbs, pyrotechnics, and it burns with a brilliant white flame. So, when you think about UFOs, and you think about a lot of these UFOs that um, sort of emanate a glow, that type of thing, that reminds me... Of this, yeah, right. Like,
0: uh, something that would burn very brightly, but well, exactly. Uh, but like I'm thinking ad- myself, either way. there's
1: high pressure in these uh, vessels, or vehicles, or there's high temperatures involved. People have definitely experienced burns. They've, have seen the vapor. Again, we're going yeah. to uh, Braxton County, right? Because you get that that noxious fumes. That basically, right. like everyone got sick. And what if those noxious fumes was actually these, like these metals, like an alkaline earth series metal. That you're ingesting, you're yeah. inhaling it into your lungs. That's heavy metals. Right. That's obviously going to cause some damage.
0: It matches up with the ideas that yeah, people had gotten lung cancer, and then you get that yeah. with all kinds of different UFO phenomena.
1: Exactly. And we'll get into more of this in our like second half of the episode. But the idea here basically is, what are what is what are these substances being used for? What is what is this being left behind? Yeah. Is it a fuel source? Is it? I don't well, know. Well, I mean, that's one theory. That's one theory. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the idea that it would be a fuel source in its gaseous form mm-hmm. and then maybe perhaps like oh, well, well, well we'll get into it more we'll get into it more sorry I, I'm getting ahead but of that myself that wasn't
1: even the end of the story for this one hey like um it, it goes on because there was another professor that he worked with Stanford University his name was Professor Peter Sturk. Mm-hmm and he confirmed he he retested the material he confirmed that this was magnesium and magnesium oxide very minute amounts of pre- impurity sorry but it did have t- trace amounts of aluminum, calcium, and iron,
0: which and, and and just again, it's like, okay, we know what these things are, okay? Like you mm-hmm. can right? like we know what these words are. We know what these elements are, but it's like they don't just show up in near pure forms in chunks on a beach when people witness something mm-hmm. exploding in the like that is a very out of place spot to be finding these types of metal fragments. That close
1: to, yeah, like the beach, like that close to public.
0: Very strange. You know what I mean?
1: If this is some sort of high-tech, super-secret military experiment going on, I feel like they would have a better place to do it, unless they lost control of the technology, then maybe that would explain it.
0: Possibly. Ah. Is it manned? Is it unmanned? We don't know.
1: Mm. Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. Mm. Mm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that, yeah.
0: So that was the first case. I thought that was uh, really
1: cool because of the purity of the material. I agree. Very unusual.
0: Well and, and and the the thought I have and I know it's like oh, I'm going to save stuff for the end but it's like okay well if there's an explosion then perhaps like that is what brought on some of the impurities you know what I mean like there's an explosion possibly like the other oh, materials so in the explosion of, and it mixed with that gas that then formed with into the a high solid right that
1: could, yeah. so these
0: fragments are landing in an impure state when in fact they quite possibly could have been before the like in this instance with an explosion right yeah it's different with say the next case, where there's just ejected and no explosion.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're getting back into Maury Island here. We are Case indeed. number two. Of course, we already know this happened on June 21st, 1947. If you listened to the last episode, and if you haven't, I would highly recommend going and doing that. Yeah.
0: I mean, quick recap, I guess. <laughs>
1: well, quick quick recap. Yeah. So 1947, like we said, this definitely was the kickoff of, like, another wave of UFO craze that kind of occurred in the modern times of the world in the U.S., And yeah, so it was witnessed by Harold Dahl on his boat in Puget Sound, Washington. He and a small crew of three others, plus a dog, witnessed um, six craft overhead. And basically what happened was one of the craft appeared to be struggling. It dropped from about 2,000 feet in the air down to about 500, um, almost directly above Dahl's boat. And when he saw this, he kind of freaked out. So he ended up bringing the boat to shore on Maury Island, Whipped out his camera um, just as the craft was, I I, I believe it was just at the moment when the craft, uh, another assisted it. It came down, it was kind of like floating around it. Yeah. And then we heard a minor doll explosion, or we. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We were there, we saw. No big deal. But uh, anyways, doll heard it, and then he saw this light, paper-like silvery substance be sort of ejected it was almost like confetti flying through the air yeah and it was this light silvery stuff and then right after that you get the other so the heavier the darker the slag like materials and this was a little more intense and one of the the chunks apparently hit his dog killed it another one hit his son uh, broken shoulder. Exactly. His, his arm was broken or something. And then he ended up in a fugue state in another state serving. So
0: waiting tables, didn't know how he got at there. A, at a
1: roadside diner, apparently, according to some case, Like you know, <laughs> if you want to believe that. But anyway, so yeah, <laughs> Maury Island
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: definitely is one of those more um, muddy cases. A lot of people just um, dismiss it as hoax because of the Fred Christman element and yeah. he was kind of a shady character. But anyways, we're not going to get into that too much. Um, there was a few things we missed in that episode yeah. about Moore Island. And one of the things that I thought was the most interesting amongst them, we did um, a follow-up on the blog about this. So if you want more details on it, I would highly recommend going to that. But one thing I did want to mention before we dive into Valley's take on this case okay. is the fact that allegedly Paul Lance... The guy who was on the receiving end of the mysterious anonymous phone calls that were taking place as Chrisman and Dahl were being interviewed by FBI agents and by Kenneth Arnold yeah. at the Winthorpe Hotel in Tacoma. Um, so, yeah, apparently all of the details and all the names of the people involved in those interviews were relayed anonymously to Paul Lance, who was a local reporter in Tacoma. And supposedly in the days after... Dahl recanted his story at, at the cost of because we had the unfortunate accident of two um, two Air Force agents dying in an unfortunate plane crash yeah. that were involved in the investigation and they had interviewed Doll and Chrisman and they were on their way back and they crashed and died and so it kind of made the case ooh like a like you know like a hot potato that you don't want to touch right. and basically Chrisman and and Doll were put in the hot seat yeah. So yeah, apparently this Paul Lance died mysteriously. Really. In the days following Dolls' recanting. Ah.
0: Uh,
1: yes. Okay. Paul Lance and I just I know that that was a name we mentioned in the first one, so I definitely wanted to specifically mention yeah. him and the fact that his death was unexplained. They did oh. an autopsy; they could not find a cause of death. Really? Either that or they didn't want to find one. <laughs> so, uh,
0: yeah, like they offed them. Somebody did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, and apparently it happened to one other reporter that was involved in the case as well in Tacoma. Weird. There was two of them. And I, we didn't mention the name of the first one and I don't have it in front of me. So I'm really, really sorry about well, you are. It's okay but, though
0: because that, but still. that not is, that, that, that messed is, up
1: though? That just, that deepens the plot for me. See, but like,
0: that, yeah, that that really does though. Because it's like, me. that didn't happen to dolls. So it's like, what did this guy know on top of what the just straight witness knew? Yeah. It, or you know what I mean? Chrisman is is kind of was his own deal in this. All mm-hmm. all of this, it's like it's hard to tell exactly where he's coming from. But Doll seemed to be a very just straight up witness of something.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's like a that's side weird. note, but yeah. I just thought that was really cool and interesting and I, well, not cool, nobody's mysterious deaths cool, but you know, like it's just a very <laughs> There's a lot of true crime people fact. out
0: there that, uh, that I guess, interact with I guess. that would probably disagree.
1: And if you're into true crime, uh, Lord Lucan, we just did a <laughs> really hey. fun series yeah, on, that's right. with uh, the Fan Film Boys. We're doing a Podfix Presents series on historical hypocrites, madmen, and megalomaniacs. And we covered, um, we covered Lord Lucan, which may or may not have been responsible for a very grisly murder, and then he disappeared. He is the most notorious man that has vanished on the planet. Yes. A lord from British aristocracy in the 1970s. Anyways, very cool. Yeah, go
0: check it out. Just search (laughs) Podfix Presents on uh, any uh, any app and you'll find
1: it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so back to the case here. And Vale's take on it, because I, I thought, I, I appreciated it. Mm-hmm. He is neutral enough to consider the idea that it's very confusing, very muddled, perhaps a hoax, maybe not. He doesn't get into too much of that. But he does recognize the idea that it has divided investigators ever since, and it was muddled even more so by the supposed in, official investigation. Right. This is a quote from the article here. He says, military authorities and the FBI, in a very confused series of investigations, attributed the case to a hoax quote, analysis of the fragments shows them to be from a Tacoma slag mill, (laughs) end quote. That was from the official report, the official investigation. And then he says here, to this author's knowledge, however, the composition of the original samples, assuming they were in fact studied by the FBI, were never released. These samples that he is citing was collected by Dahl and Chrisman following their citing. So very interesting. And that was the whole one that we said was like, it was in a cereal box when they presented it to (laughs)
0: this guy. And the very same material that allegedly had a hand in bringing down that aircraft.
1: Yeah, supposedly. And so, anyways, he does get into the idea that um, Ray Palmer from Fate Magazine and Kenneth Arnold, one of the more um, prominent ufologists, I would say, of that time, Mm -hmm. they actually co-authored a book together in which he determined... I guess they had their own private analysis performed on the material. Okay, And they performed that the... (laughs) Determined, sorry, that the primary constituents of the material were calcium, iron, zinc, and titanium.
0: Oh, titanium, huh?
1: So again, uh, and there was also aluminum, manganese, manganese. Manganese. Manganese, copper, magnesium, silicone, nickels, lead, strontium, and chromium. Okay, a
0: whole bunch of stuff. As
1: long as, as, along with traces of silver tin and cadmium, so. Really? Kind of a, a mix. There.
0: Yeah, that is indeed a mix.
1: And he kind of, like, ends this case by saying, as Ray Palmer commented, There we have it. The samples first sent by Chrisman and Dahl were not slag, nor were they natural rock. What were they? Hmm. Dun,
0: dun, dun. Yeah, no, really, though, because it's like, if you're saying in the official report, analysis of the fragments shows them to be from a Tacoma slag mill. Okay, one, I know it's 1947, <laughs> but why would, and Tacoma's relatively nearby, but why on earth would a Tacoma slag mill be dumping slag across a certain section of body of water closer to Maury Island, which is just off the Washington coast?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And just be, why, why is that? That doesn't sound like a convenient place to be dumping your, the, the remainders of a, of a smelting plant. Right?
2: No. Like, it just
0: seems, like, cumbersome to have to go all the way. Like, you're just going to take stuff all the way out to the ocean and
1: go out on a boat and dump it. And if you weren't dumping it, then presumably you'd be be dumping it offshore. And you wouldn't have... It wouldn't be washing up. It's heavy. No, it's... It's yes, slag. It's, it is slag. Slag. But, you know, if they did want to sort of um, perpetrate a hoax, perhaps it is in the area. So they could have taken the material.
0: Possibly. From
1: where it would have been home to and then just used it in their own convenient ways.
0: But then I... it's like, but then what about this, uh, the, the, the analysis? And it's just a concoction of metals. It's like, that doesn't sound exactly. like just a straight, like uh, smelting byproduct.
1: I don't know. Like, you know,
0: we should have brought my uncle Doug on here. He's a chemical ooh, engineer for Tech Kamenko, yeah. which is a zinc smelting plant. We
1: should email him. Uh,
0: we, maybe we should, but it's like, but I'm I, I'm stabbing in the dark here. But I'm fairly certain that he would say that it would be abnormal to find just a straight byproduct that has all of this stuff, especially traces of silver and titanium are the two that kind of stand out to me.
1: And chromium.
0: I mean, all they sorts all, of crazy stuff. They all, yeah. Yeah. It's very bizarre. It's inconclusive, obviously. It, it
1: is. And it's kind of funny because just in um, <laughs> in the context of the last case that we just talked about, this is like completely, completely different, right? But as we mentioned in the very outset of this episode, there is going to be um, a pattern, right? You are going to see these sort of similar, similar types of materials present in a lot of these cases. And we're not going to go through all 10 of them. No. We're just going to touch on the ones that we thought were the most interesting. Yeah. And the most, uh, the most info involved. Right. hmm So that kind of wraps it up for the relevant aspects of the Maury Island case. Okay. So just to reiterate, I guess, like we do get these two types of materials. We get this light alloy type of thing and we also get, but the thing is too, I don't think they actually got samples of the light aluminum. I think it was just the slag stuff.
0: Yeah. Just the, yeah, I
1: wish just, we could just ask them, man. I know, right? Ugh.
0: I wish you could just be a fly on the wall for like these investigations too, like when they're happening, as they're happening. I, I mean, wish I we could just see, just
1: that. like that dude in Interstellar when he's just like he is the fly on the wall and he can see. He goes through all these different scenes and he he's just like outside. He's in the fifth dimension. And you imagine if past, we could do look that. in the
0: future. Yeah. Look wherever. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Oh. Ah, dang it! <laughs> well, that would be just be. I mean there would be no ufology after that because everyone would be able to go back and see exactly what happened there you go but
1: maybe maybe our future selves are already doing that and that's what we think is a ufo
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's just us
1: anyways
0: (laughs) okay so we're on to the the third case that we're going to cover here and this actually uh, was one that we actually touched on in the introduction for the episode. But we thought it was interesting just because it is obviously another same sort of era, like 1967. Like we keep kind of progressing forward by a decade or so here mm-hmm. each time, which is, it makes sense. Yeah. So this happened in a town uh, called, uh, I actually Googled this to try to see the pronunciation. And it, people were pronouncing it just as Mommy. Like, it sounds like almost like a Japanese word, like maume. I want to say like umami for some reason, but it's (laughs) like (laughs) maume, Ohio. So July 13th, 1967, there were two Navy vets, uh, one of whom was a radar specialist and they were driving. It was relatively late at night, like around 1130 and everything was normal until out of nowhere, they had a bright blinding light suddenly just materialized directly in front of them. Now, what was interesting about this is one it was as bright as a welder's arc so it blinded them they shielded their eyes but at the same time they had the impression that it was a solid object like mm-hmm. they they had the impression that they needed to well, get out of well presumably the,
1: the way. light's coming from something
0: yeah, i mean yeah but it's like if it's just a bright light that's that bright it's like i guess maybe in that instant they're thinking oncoming car but mm. it didn't i mean it was
1: so sudden probably not a lot of the noise, description I doesn't
0: seem like it, you'd i mean doesn't sound like a car obviously right no. so basically about how this happened is like they they
1: and it yeah. was stationary wasn't it or was yeah it, too, it was sta- no it was it stationary. Was probably too like uh, momentaneous or <laughs> instantaneous, <laughs> instantaneous, <Momentaneous. laughs> instantaneous yeah to kind of maybe comprehend i wonder though
0: yeah but obviously they felt like they needed to to maneuver out of the way because they were going to smash into some sort of a solid object so they ended up skidding around 70 feet and of course nothing happened to their surprise, so they were bracing for impact, and
1: there was there was some light damage to the front of their vehicle, yeah. which does imply that they did touch something. something. But of mm. course,
0: when they stop and get out of the car, there's nothing there. Mm.
1: There's absolutely
0: nothing in the road. There's nothing there, but they were freaked out. So mm-hmm. they bip off to a nearby town, call the call the local uh, highway patrol, get some you know get them to cut follow them back to the same spot to take some samples if there is any to be had. And, of course, there wasn't really a ton there. There was the highway patrol. Basically, they couldn't find anything. It wasn't until late. It's almost at
1: midnight, right? So it's really late. Well, and
0: that's just it. I feel like it's dark. And the driver ended up going back out of curiosity and found this material. Mm. The same material that ended up being found in fibrous, like, metal fragments on the car itself.
2: Hmm.
0: These were found to contain 92% magnesium. Hmm. All right, so as so sort of, so we're going back, so we're going back to like the first case we talked about.
2: Yeah.
0: And the idea that, I mean, look, why? Why are these byproducts, be, wh- that what why? Why? What, what could these possibly be involved in? This and, is
1: actually interesting because you don't see, you don't get an ejection. You know no, what I mean? You don't get. Not
0: a visible one, anyway.
1: No, but you do get remnants, you get physical remains.
0: Mm. So. Yeah, neither uh, witness ended up anything, uh, experiencing anything unusual after this. They didn't have any... So their classification was CE2 for this, uh, close for this instance. Or close encounter, but they didn't have any uh, physical With physical impair- effects on yes. the
1: environment. So not on themselves, but on the car. On the car. That's interesting. Yeah. And you know what's funny? I actually had this... I don't know why I just thought about this right now, even though I've looked at this material a few times. But I was just thinking to myself, like, I feel like way back in the day that might have been interpreted and still could be interpreted as maybe a an ethereal being like you know what i mean like um like an angel
0: oh like Something. there's a bright light that appears like yeah
1: you get a lot of anecdotes like that like even in the bible and stuff so yeah totally i don't know like it, it's so funny right like we live in such a secular society these days that we don't often interpret using our religious lens right in in Canada and in the U.S., that type of thing. Yeah. Obviously, it's more predominant in other places, yeah. but very interesting. It is, and that spirituality versus paranormal.
0: Totally. So what is tangled. that? And what is when you when you talk about angels and things materializing? What does that make you think of in, par, in terms of paranormal angel field? <laughs> no, I mean it makes me think of the Mothman. Oh yeah, right with
1: the winged beings and.
0: And the idea, and, and yeah, things yeah. materializing out of out of nowhere, very just bizarre occurrences. And then also, like you mentioned at the beginning, this idea of our future selves. Mm-hmm. You know, angels perhaps being our future selves. The Mothman, I don't know exactly. That's obviously a bizarre case and we need to cover it. Mm-hmm. But um, predicting things happening in the future and things like that, right?
1: Exactly. Seeing a little further down the road. Right. Yeah. So that wraps up Naomi. Or mommy,
0: mommy, mommy. mommy. If you're from uh, Ohio, get at us and let us know how to best pronounce that. Yeah. And if you have any other interesting Ohio-related besides the grassman, and that'll be covered eventually.
1: Oh, what about the giant cats, the puma-like thing that was experienced in Ohio? Really? Was it Ohio or was it Idaho? I don't know.
0: I don't know. Well, hey, if there's enough, uh, uh, it...
1: Idaho? I don't know. <laughs>
2: oh, I always yes. get
1: Ohio, and I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know, Idaho. <laughs> oh
0: my god! And then okay. there's Iowa too. Whoa! I mean, it's not very, it's not exactly the same, but
1: I thought Iowa and Ohio. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we've watched enough American Pickers that I know that they're two different yeah, states.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that wraps up. Yeah, I like this case, too, because it's two Navy vets.
0: That's the other thing. It adds legitimacy.
1: It does. Right,
0: These guys aren't going to just go call the local highway patrol for no reason, especially that late at night. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They were freaked out enough.
1: Well, exactly. Yeah, like that takes a lot, right, to report something like that. The only thing that I could maybe come up with that would be another alternative is that something happened. They had... Some light damage to their car, like maybe it was a company vehicle, and they're like, okay, "Oh crap, like sort of a- <laughs> we need to come up with a good story here."
0: <laughs> like, but is that a good story?
1: Not really <laughs> to come up with. No, right? a good story would be like a deer That guy ran came out of nowhere. Or yeah. yeah, the deer. Yeah, exactly. Or that's something classic. Yeah,
0: or the grass man.
1: <laughs> Ooh, a, a black-eyed kid came out of Mill Road. And yes, that's even more unbelievable.
0: Actually, that's a, that's even more terrifying
2: too. Ooh, totally that reminds me of you. that
1: YouTube video we watched the other day where yeah. it was like. Oh, my God. It was, like, a dash cam. Yeah. This is for everyone at home. (laughs) The dash cam, two guys driving in the middle of the night. They come around this, like, corner, and there's just a freaky kid sitting, laying in the middle of the road. Faceless. Yeah. It was just, like, this black sort of kid- That was sitting in the middle of the road. Yeah,
0: like no face. No no nose, no eyes, no nothing.
1: They don't even stop, really. They just like, they just reverse and just go back. Yeah, they're just like, uh, nope.
0: (laughs) Nope. 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 (laughs) Nope. (laughs) That's not right. No,
1: that was freaking (laughs) it.
0: Yeah, that's... It's almost as
1: bad as that weird... Oh, I don't even know what it was. It wasn't a Wendigo type thing, but it was like that crazy crab crawling... Entity with like its head turned like the wrong way around. It was like, oh, a you're full, giving me like, shivers just
0: thinking about it. I'm Oof, like...
1: creepy. There's doing like a crab walk across, uh, like, the okay. I can't
0: wait for Halloween to do because uh, oh, October gonna be so is going to be fun.
1: Oh my gosh, I am just every fiber of my being wants it to be Halloween right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's my okay. Anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah, we're talking phone.
0: UFOs right now. Okay,
1: though. fine. <laughs>
0: fine. <laughs> Amber and I love the fall, we're sick of summer. It's too hot.
1: <sighs> It's killing me, man. I'm over it. It's killing me. It's good. (laughs) I just I just I I wanna carve a pumpkin. It's not summer anymore. It's just fire season.
0: Yeah. Well where we are.
1: That's all we get is yeah. just fire. Well, not even just where we are. And shout
0: everywhere. out to everybody down there in California because Whoa, that's rough.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. That's rough down there right now. I'm Yeah, so I feel really sorry our for you guys. thoughts are with you for like sure. Like here in BC, we've got over 750 fires burning right now, yeah. but most of them are contained. Yeah, and then in yeah. California, it's just not the case. Oh, and same in Portugal, of... they're really suffering. Yeah, it's not good. And in other parts of the Europe. Apparently, they're having like a huge heat wave right now.
0: Yeah. It was like 47 degrees or something in Portugal the other yeah,
1: day. Yeah, that's bizarre. I was hearing stories from like like elderly people that were trapped in their homes oh and my like God. they couldn't escape because it was like it, it was just gridlock outside yeah. and people actually abandoned their cars so they're in the way. Yeah. So people couldn't escape Move. with their vehicle so literally this one couple she was about 57 years old her husband was about a decade older than her and they actually stayed in their house and they rode out the inferno it actually <laughs> it went right over their house they must have had like a stone or a brick house i don't uh, know yeah but essentially they covered them their themselves with like wet blankets and all survived. sorts of stuff and just yeah they said there's no way they could ever describe what they lived through but they survived crazy anyways that's crazy. a total side note um, but yeah, no, a shout out to everyone cause yeah. it, it's rough times, man. And let's just get through this and
0: get through the summer, <sighs> man, get through fire season, yeah. get through another fire season.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, look forward to Halloween, please. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we're on to case number four that we're going to be discussing here. Yeah. So this happened in 1975 or 76 is a little bit iffy. It happened in Bogota, Colombia, classification MA2. So okay. that is a maneuver. Yes.
0: Maneuver, with, a, maneuver with, with an effect on a the environment.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, here is how the story goes <clears throat> Two students at the University of Bogota were about to take a cab at 4 a.m. that night when they heard a metallic sound overhead. They reported seeing a disc about 12 feet in diameter swinging through the air as, as if it had difficulty maintaining its altitude of about 3,000 to 3,500 feet. Obviously a very rough estimate since it is notoriously difficult to estimate the distance and size of luminous objects at night. Mm. So four other objects appeared flying around the first one as if to provide assistance. What does that remind you of? Morey Island, perhaps? Interesting. So it says here, just to continue on, spouts of liquid were then ejected from the primary object. The witnesses took shelter under a tree and watched the liquid fall onto the pavement, producing a vapor. The objects rose and disappeared into heavy rain clouds. After letting the material cool down for about 10 minutes, the witnesses were able to recover two metal chunks, about four inches by one inch and a quarter inch thick. Interesting. Yeah, so again, we do get um, analysis by valid sources. So this is a mechanical engineer employed by Central American... Sorry, by a Central American petroleum company. Okay. This particular engineer concluded that the sample was an aluminum alloy with magnesium and tin. Hmm. Lightweight metals. Non-magnetic, contained traces of unidentified materials. Hmm. Unidentified. I Um, guess he probably would have just been trace elements of whatever else. But he also stated, this is interesting, he said that the material was easy to cut and presented very fine granulation. So I'm not a metallurgist expert if anyone out there is please let us know what that could possibly mean um a very fine granulation so easily cuttable um i'm assuming it's very lightweight too
0: yeah well um, yeah
1: mm-hmm. and it's interesting because valet, uh, uh, valet. every <laughs> time i say valet i just think of like the person that parks your car <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, in 1985 uh valet you
0: have to say with say? a french accent valet. your last name is bouchard Get bouchard bouchard, bouchard. I don't even think we ever
1: said that. (laughs) I always say Amber Ray. Anyways. Uh, (laughs) Anyways. um, Yeah. So they actually retrieved or received, retrieved, received, whatever, a sample of the material. And they came to the conclusion that it was mainly aluminum with phosphorus and iron with trace amounts of sulfur and an unexplained oxycarbide layer. The interesting part about this is that the sample apparently included no fluoride, fluoride, sorry, and no water, contrary to most aluminum samples. It says here, fluoride is a very common byproduct of aluminum production. So this is interesting, especially in relation, we're going to be into a little bit of an interview with an expert in um, astrophysics, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. We brought on physicist Chris once again. But anyways, this was interesting because, uh, like I mentioned in the interview with him, um, these, these byproducts are not present. Right. So that to me just kind of maybe points to that. There was maybe non-human intervention in the production or manufacture of these, but we're not going to jump to conclusions.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm not, not jumping to conclusions. Jumping, I mean, it's not conclusive. It's just an idea. It's it a theory. An idea. It's an
1: idea. Yeah, exactly. It's never a conclusion. No. Nothing. Yeah. I, I don't like to jump to that.
0: <laughs> it's a jump to conclusions, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> it's got all kinds of conclusions. <laughs> That you can jump to. <laughs> that's
1: the worst idea I've ever heard about. <laughs> If anyone knows where that's from, okay. um, get of us, yeah. and you might receive a special ITP sticker.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, we will definitely send you a bonus if you can. Yes, yeah.
1: if anyone knows. Anyways, so this was very interesting because the specimen provided this sample of material, it showed that there was evidence of violent activity and bubbling. So that to oh, me points weird. to rapid heating and cooling, yeah. perhaps. And the other side is flat with some embedded material, possibly from the road asphalt. So, again, he, he, valet, 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 valet. He says that its appearance was typical of an overheat and was indeed consistent with the blow up of a machine, although the possibility of a hoax could not be excluded.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. That's uh, very
1: cool. And, like, he, him and his team performed, like, we don't actually get a lot of the times what sort of tests specifically they're doing. Obviously, it's metallurgy. It's non-organic material. So, they're going to be doing that type of thing. But yeah. we don't have the background for that. But he does, in, in the article, include um, what type of instruments they were using for this. Right.
0: I mean we didn't want to get too crazy technical with it no. because the whole point the the interest here is just the fact that we're going through multiple different accounts they're leaving behind similar but not exactly the same substances mm-hmm. and the question we're left with is obviously is this involved in the propulsion is this is this fuel is this just a strange byproduct from something else because it is not extraterrestrial it's interdimensional and this is just some sort of a strange terrestrial byproduct left behind just just just, yeah, I don't even know, like, just by yeah. them crossing over from one one reality to the next, right? And mm. that's how it materializes in our Almost reality. Almost like how some people
1: point to the idea of, like, plasma being present in some uh, paranormal slayer, so like, like, ghost hunter cases, that type of thing. There's, right. like, physical evidence left behind. I don't know. But maybe. What I'm thinking, I have this idea, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and I have this idea that, uh,
0: what
1: if, what if, what if aliens drink metal?
0: What if they drink metal? What if
1: they don't drink water? They drink metal.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I'm, that's totally dumb.
0: Well, no, like they're like non-carbon based life forms of some kind that like have it like as Fire some Walker. sort of a supplement, like mm. a silicone based life form. I don't know. X-Files reference, anyone? X-Files. Shout out to Ryan Sprog. It's
1: been a few, <laughs> a few months since we made an X-Files reference. Remember that one episode, I can't remember what it was and we I had think, like five or oh, six yeah. X-Files references. Yeah,
0: Totally. Before we get into, we're just about to kind of jump into this interview with uh, with physicist Chris from dash of Science. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wanted to at least sort of intro it a little bit in the sense that we, were, we wanted to ask him spe- some specific questions. He really kind of, he's one of the friends we have that brings us back down to earth mm-hmm. <laughs> with things. Um, but we wanted to talk to him about like different types of ways that These metals could be used for power generation. And also we talked about things like shapes of craft and stuff like that. Like, did you want to give any details on magneto hydrodynamic generators? Because we didn't. I don't know if we really... Just to kind of tee it up.
1: Oh, yeah, because we are going to be talking about that. So, okay. Okay. So, just, yeah, for context sake, for everyone listening to this interview coming up, the second half of Valet's article goes into... More the theoretics behind this. Yes. So, what the heck could this material possibly be used for? Yeah. He has a section in the article that will be available in our research notes, obviously, our show notes, of course. Um, and he points to the idea that they're harnessing liquid metal technologies uh, as, <laughs> and as he phrases it, and as you'll hear in the interview, I, I he phrases it, it. When is it appropriate? Sorry, is it appropriate to ask... Or sorry, it is appropriate. Oh my God, I'm like stumbling over this. It's okay. It is appropriate to ask under what conditions one might want to use liquid metal in a flying vehicle. So he is making some presuppositions here. He is taking um, taking witness statements as fact. He He's giving them legitimacy. He's saying that the material collected is connected to these sightings yeah. and to these un- unidentified flying vehicles. Yes. And so that's where he's coming from with his own assumptions. And Chris definitely, he he questions those, obviously. He yeah. comes from the camp that the most mundane explanation is pro- the most probable, right? Mm. Which is the most rational way to look at it. And I, I, I have to agree with that. And so from his perspective, it is most likely a case of either a hoax or... If you really want to, you know, um, believe that something did occur, that it's probably just human cause. It's probably just um, secret technologies that are being developed by the military and that type of thing. Because, yeah. like he says in the interview, that's where all of our money goes. Yeah. So, uh, technologies that we don't think exist and that are presented to the public are usually invented about 40 years previous. Right. So, that's interesting. But, I feel like it doesn't explain everything.
0: No. But let's get into this, though. And, uh Yes. Yeah. All right, so we have a very special guest tonight. It was super, super last minute, so we're very thankful for that. But we have physicist Chris from A Dash of Science podcast on with us tonight. How's it going, buddy? Hey, it's going pretty good. How are you guys? We are fantastic, and Ah. thank you so much for coming on on such short notice. Yes, very short. no problem. (laughs) Literally
1: an hour and a half, probably. (laughs) Pretty
0: pretty much. It was like two (laughs) hours or something like that. (laughs) <laughs> it's always nice, though, that we can have we have somebody like you that we can uh, we can call upon for mm-hmm. s- such a, you know, for endeavors like this, because this is kind of a serious topic. And uh, we're not going to get too crazy in depth. But obviously, yeah, we need your expertise. So thanks again.
3: Yep. yeah No problem. You know, on call scientist. I mean, my fee is only one hundred dollars per hour. You guys can afford that, right?
0: Uh, yeah. We, yeah. On, on our podcasting
3: salary, we should be yes. able to hack that in about maybe 50 to 60 years or so. Sure. No, um,
0: problem, no problem. I'll be
3: around. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) all right so So,
1: we're getting into some pretty heavy stuff pretty detailed information but mm -hmm. for our layman brains we're gonna try and dumb it down a little bit that's Um, right yes (laughs) so i guess (laughs) where we wanted to start was with this section in valet's article where he begins discussing liquid metal technologies and how this could possibly apply to the cases he's discussing, which reference um, UFO encounters where there is material left behind. Whether it's mm-hmm. like this, he describes it as there's two types. There's one that's like a heavy slag material, and then there's also this like light, sort of like more aluminum-based, or sorry, not aluminum, um, magnesium-based yeah. alloy, that yeah. type of thing. Um, but anyways, yeah, so in all these cases, we get this deposit of metallic sorry like
0: trace evidence of like inorganic Mm -hmm. metal materials essentially Mm -hmm. that yeah it's 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 just fascinating so i guess we if if we could just start with getting just your general thoughts on that
3: well it, it is kind of hard because some of the stuff that in this area is stuff that goes back in our technology to early 1800s some of them in 1970s and some stuff is more futuristic. And when we're talking about futuristic stuff, it's a little bit hard to kind of, uh, I guess, quantify what is and isn't possible, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we use liquid metal in a lot of applications. Now uh, we have some stuff where we use it with, like, coolants for nuclear reactors. Right, okay. Uh, and in limited capacity, it's very expensive. Uh, it's very dangerous in f- because of just the types of metals that we tend to use for that, like mercury or tin or lead, which are very uh, toxic toxic and low levels to humans, right? right? right. So we don't use them in a lot of of aspects. But as far as using them as like a current storage, I don't know of anything that we currently do uh, with that kind of technology or even anything that we've studied as a potential in the future. So if I were to look at the the path of our technology, uh, humans' technology on Earth, I would say it's not very likely that that's something that we would get to at any point uh within the next say 50 years 100 years oh, okay. maybe even okay but you know if you're talking about an alien species who is advanced enough to travel interstellarly then i mean i can't <laughs> predict well, what of sort course. of technology they might hmm. have see that's uh, an, i would you say it's not point, likely Sorry, sorry, mm-hmm. continue. Go,
0: keep going. I was going to say,
3: it's not, it's not likely based off of what we know about how things work today. Yeah, okay. Mm-kay. And I mean, no, that totally makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. But you made an interesting point, though, because, and this is something that's come up uh, in, in the research for this episode and the last week's episode on Maury Island, this idea that, and this is related to John Keel and the whole Mothman thing as well and interdimensionality, the idea that just every era of UFO sightings tends to kind of match with, like you said, maybe fifty or a hundred years of technology advanced
1: in the future. Right? Mm-hmm. And
0: when we with when when we look at John Keel and Mothman, one of the really kind of interesting descriptions there was this idea that you know a window washer up at the top of a building has a he can see that much further down the road mm-hmm. than the person mm-hmm. on the ground, and it's just a perspective thing. So that's right. just interesting. Or, I like the fifty year, hundred year kind of thing. It matches up, right?
1: Exactly. And also just to add to that thought is the idea that perhaps it's been put forth by um people proponents of the interdimensional theory or hypothesis I should say, that we are seeing echoes from the future. So say mm-hmm. the people that were witnessing UFOs in the nineteen forties were actually witnessing technology from, say, seventy years down right. the road. Right. So we're seeing echoes of ourselves. There
3: you go, exactly
1: in yeah that's pretty
3: interesting yeah there's a lot of things too with uh with kind of a general ufo thing right there this is why there's so many government and military conspiracies that uh come out of this is because of the locations they tend to be you know the military places tend to be there and the fact that the technology advancements that we as humans make uh, tend to usually be within the, the, the realm of, of, like, Department of Defense here in the U.S. or, or mm-hmm. you know, other similar places in other countries, because that's where our money really is as far as research goes right. you know, into modern times. And so we'll find out later, you know, once these things become more usable technology uh, and they get released to the public and then you start looking at their history and you find out, wow, this thing was actually invented about 40 years before I yeah. thought it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Interesting. I think yeah. A,
3: a good example of that, I think would be like, I, you guys had said something about like kind of beta decay and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead for you guys here, no, but no, no, go ahead. as a method of power generation, um, so there's two different types of things that people talk about with beta decay for, for propulsion. One is actual physical propulsion, like we use with our chemical rockets, which is basically an issue of throwing things out the back end as fast as you can to get, right. you know use that physics to push you forward. And in that regard, uh, beta decay isn't a very good source because beta decay uses mostly electron and, and neutrinos. And uh, neutrinos have very little mass, so they don't really interact with stuff. So that wouldn't make a very good thing to throw out the back. Okay. Uh, Electrons do, and we do have electron propulsion, and it's very efficient. has a high, uh, what we call specific impulse, which is literally just kind of a measurement of efficiency. Uh, But they have really super low thrust, right? Hmm. Uh, So... You can put one on a spaceship and fire it, and in 50 years, you'll be going really fast. (laughs) And uh, we like these because they're very efficient. They don't take much fuel, but you're not going to put humans or any living species on those and get them anywhere within a life cycle of that species. Right. So it's, it's just not very efficient for a main means of transportation in that way. Uh, But So the other idea behind beta decay is for like a power source. Um, And the interesting thing about that is that beta decay, most of the nuclear power sources that we use work off of like uh, thermal dynamics using the thermal properties, the heat generated from radioactivity. Uh, Beta beta decay doesn't. Uh, It uses more, um, they call them, was it beta-valetic devices, I think they're called. So they produce electric current. Um, And they kind of use like uh, electron holes, like yada, yada, advanced nuclear physics stuff. Uh, But essentially, the important thing to think of these is these work kind of like batteries. So over time, they produce less and less power because, uh, you know, it's radioactive material. It's degrading. You've got a Mm half-life. Even our most advanced materials that we use, like uh, I think it's a hydrogen isotope and uh, tritium, like, Tritium has a half-life of 12 years. That means in 12 years, your uh, beta voltaic device is producing half the amount of power that it was when mm. you installed it. Right. Uh, <laughs> in most means of transportation that I know, uh, 12 years is not enough time to get from some inhabited planet that we don't know about to Earth. Right. Right? right. So that doesn't seem like a very, I guess, reasonable method to use for a power source for that. But I could certainly see, I mean, this is something that was invented in like the 1970s. So, I mean, I could certainly see if there was, like, some sort of military experiment of using that as a power source or something. Yeah, Hmm. yeah, I guess so.
1: Very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All this is so far beyond my... (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially when
0: we start to get into the idea of obviously, like, the way that you've just that last sentence there from, from you, Chris, like the idea of a nuts and bolts craft coming from a great distance and the Mm -hmm. energy and the type of propulsion system that it would need for that great distance. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the, the the flip side of this, which is the interdimensional, which doesn't necessarily mean that it wouldn't require the same type of, you know, energy and propulsion system, but it's like, we're working within our own kind of like humanistic idea of distance and time when we're thinking about these things. So I don't know, like that's anyway, that's just my, just just, <laughs> just throwing that out there Because we're going to be getting into some interdimensional theories And stuff
3: Yeah Yeah. until you can prove how that works You don't know what the requirements for it are right <laughs> Exactly yeah no exactly sure, yeah, I one. mean he yeah I mean he kind of Talks about how
0: Well yeah I mean like the type of things that we're Talking about yeah like the beta decay And the type of propulsion systems that obviously like You're familiar with and work with like with NASA And stuff
2: mm-hmm.
0: They're loud produce light Produce heat And a Mm -hmm. lot of the things that we have examples of kind of don't have those aspects to them, which is, which is just Mm -hmm. so fascinating. I mean, we have obviously like, for example, the Charlie Red Star uh, case, which actually we're doing a Patreon episode for, but that was a Manitoba UFO, you know, silent, no sound, but a bright glowing red light. So Amber and I found (laughs) ourselves talking about like what would produce this light that seems Mm -hmm. to be emanating from within and does that have to do with its energy source.
3: Yeah. I mean, that is an interesting thing because if you just basic physics, you know, any type of reaction, any type of generation of anything, you have different ways that you can transfer energy into a thing. And the one of the or two of the most common things are heat and light. Right. right so okay. if you are generating that amount of light from something, that's essentially unless your light has a purpose in and of itself, that's wasted energy. So why would something that is obviously is going to require a significant amount of energy be producing that much light unless that light Hmm. itself is being used for something? totally actually right.
1: that is a really that good is a point. good point point. and the, yeah the idea that there is this high high heat as well high temperatures mm-hmm. like that definitely corresponds to charlie as well right i remember that one anecdote from mm-hmm. uh, the mccann family where she was in the family farmhouse and she looked out the window she could just feel it was almost like she was being baked yeah, alive
0: totally and right. then of course there's scorch marks uh not from that case but obviously right. other ufo cases right from True. like
3: sites where even
1: the um oh, what's it called the falcon lake incident yeah it's burned on he his was chest right Oof, that was I mean,
3: that's a, that's just kind of a question I usually have about these sorts of things. If you're taking an advanced species who has the capability to get here in some manner, why would they be utilizing a system that is so uh, inefficient in energy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to win a Nobel Prize on Earth and be rich for the rest of your life? Uh, invent the Karat engine, which is essentially the perfect engine that has no waste heat, no waste from anything. So all the power you put in is the power that you get out. And you'll be, and your family for the rest of, you know, all eternity will be the richest people ever to exist, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, that's something that we strive for now. Why would a species who invented all of these things not at least have the equivalent efficiencies that we have in motors and whatnot, right? No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And
0: I mean, that's where, that's where the question to me comes up, where it's like things that are silent, because that to me says that they've accomplished at mm-hmm. least... To a certain extent, some are uh, we're saying. That, they,
1: they, they, and, like, externalizing. It, it, no, externalizing. Right. What if it's us, though? Like, right? Like, you have to come back to that. Where Interstellar. Exactly, Interstellar. where it really is us in the future, but we're seeing echoes, like I mentioned before. And the idea that, like, Jacques Valet, like, he definitely... Um, he sticks to that theory that this is interdimensional it's not extraterrestrial so all of the elements that are found in these samples that are recovered and analyzed in his article are terrestrial in origin there's right. nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing spectacular or like you know like out of this world about them no and so in that regard a lot of people that conform to that extraterrestrial hypothesis just disregard outright any of this as being relevant right. to the conversation yeah. when in reality like if you do conform to the more interdimensional hypothesis where these are terrestrial beings but they are existing in a dimension that's slightly altered from our own or or the echo thing that I mentioned that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't but. know like maybe I don't know maybe this it it feels to me more plausible to talk about it in that sort of Framework, well, as when we're talking... to... I,
0: yeah, like, because of the propulsion, because of the idea of, like, how the heck could you actually get this far in a... <laughs> because, like, right.
1: the basic premise in all of this underlying is the fact that there was this liquid metal scene ejected from a craft of some sort whether mm-hmm. you know whether it is like maybe it is a military thing maybe it's whatever mm-hmm. but like it's kind of funny like valet phrases it yeah, i thought this was kind of cute he's like it's appropriate to ask under what conditions one might want to use liquid metal in a flying vehicle <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you ever want, right like, so that's well the there's a
3: danger in that question though especially when it comes to science and a science process when you ask the question Uh, you know, when is it appropriate to use liquid metal in a flying vehicle? You are making assumptions that they're, one, is definitely a flying vehicle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Two, they're definitely using uh, liquid metal. And in some of these questions, three, that it's definitely involved in the propulsion system. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we sit down as human beings and we say, these are our assumptions, let's find a way to make that work, we will make that work. Somehow, we will find a way. way to fit something to that, and that's the dangers of having your conclusions ahead of your of your questions. Exactly. Yeah, no, and he does sure. obviously
1: he takes a lot of um, the accounts at face value, right? Yeah. The reports because he mm-hmm. wasn't there himself, he doesn't know. And he does right. try to rely on more um, legitimate, like you know, like if there's multiple people there, if there's say police present or something mm-hmm. else that's like a more mm-hmm. legitimizing factor. And then obviously the subsequent analysis of the material as well, like if Which, it was performed uh, by yeah. you know professionals, or if this was like a amateur sort of thing like that. But then,
0: like of course we just said like the yeah the materials were all the terrestrial in origin in mm-hmm. the sense right. that like we they're known substances it's just the fact that they were sometimes the composition
1: is a little bit off they were or, like, yeah, like or not like you're place. missing byproducts that would be in um like what we consider to be normal manufacture by human means mm-hmm. like things, right. i can't remember exactly off the top of my head i think there was one where there was like the um like hydrogen was missing or something like that or some sort of water um i don't even know byproduct
2: right and he was like it was
1: just strange because if you had this type of material and it was manufactured in a human plant like whatever human factory that type of thing um it would have those elements but it just didn't there's just more in
3: more pure forms in places where they shouldn't have been
1: there was definitely trace elements of all sorts but
3: even when you do that you're making an assumption on what that that product was supposed to be to begin with to compare it right I mean, we have numerous, I, w- I wish I would have prepared better for this because I could tell you numerous scenarios in which people are given a thing with no context, right? Mm-hmm. And just make assumptions of comparing this to what they think that is. And mm-hmm. then you go back and you find out, you bring in the context of that material, and then suddenly, hindsight is twenty twenty. it makes sense, right? Uh, I mean, totally. that happens all the time mm-hmm. on numerous things, not just stuff with UFO, but like across all fields and everything. So, I mean, well, and of course, the
0: UFO field is the most susceptible to this,
3: obviously, right. <laughs> like even more I mean, so because, than, you know, yeah, because people want to believe that there's things out there. And I always remind people, you know, UFO has a very specific meaning. It just means it flies and you don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Could be anything. But
3: back to back to something you said earlier about uh, about these things being more terrestrial. I think that's a valid point. It was kind of a point that I was trying to make, too. In, in because you guys are kind of questioning right here is like what's more reasonable that an alien race came from some distance away through means we don't understand, or we're seeing echoes from the future through cross dimensional things and methods and ways that we don't understand, which is more reasonable. I don't know, <laughs> but I do know seeing experiments from modern day uh, government agencies is far more reasonable than both of those questions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, uh, I, I kind of come from I think the benefit where I live right now in the land of UFOs, like, uh, there's so many UFO sightings here, and the reason is because where I am with military bases and stuff, and you'll find that if you look throughout the historical uh, reports in this area, that they have decreased in number over time and they've decreased in how long people have thought they were UFOs over time. And I think that the reason is, is because of our global communication, our media, right? Mm, So, a good example I like to tell people is, I think it was about two years ago, uh, I was having a party at my house, playing board games, having fun, went outside to grab something and I look over and there's a thing I cannot explain moving far too slowly uh, through the air. You Mm. know, like legitimate you know, you can Do all the the stereotypical UFO descriptors, right? Mm -hmm. And I just go. And because of my particular knowledge and background, after a while, I realized it was a rocket. And what I was seeing was the glow from the ionization behind it through the thrust. And found out about four hours later that the military had launched a, I think it was a Trident rocket. I can't remember off the top of my head what kind it was. Off a nuclear sub off the coast of California. Hmm. And they didn't tell anybody they were going to do this test until afterwards. For you know, right. military reasons. Now, if you go back 50 years from now, or, you know, and you do some equivalent experiment of that time and era where you don't have the media sharing like we do today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you take somebody without the background that I had to seize that that's a UFO to them, and they never find out anything different. Yeah.
1: Very true. No, for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it's like what, like, (laughs) a lot of researchers in the field tend to discount at least, like, 99.9% of all reported sightings just because of that, right? Right,
0: exactly. And I think it matters where it comes from, too. Like, I mean, like, yeah, like in California. Like the area or the
1: person? In in the
0: area, like, obviously, Mm -hmm. yeah, like California. Where exactly are you in California again?
3: So I'm about an hour and a half north of LA, right outside of Edwards Air Force Base, okay. which is one of the Air Force testing facilities for aircraft. Right.
0: Oh, well, I mean, that. there you go.
3: <laughs> so, right. <laughs> yeah. So when I say there's a lot of uh, sightings here, I mean it. There's a lot of yeah, sightings no here, no doubt. Probably a
0: few more than like you know Trail BC or whatever, <laughs> somewhere <laughs> near us. That's like, actually you never know. Actually, there's. Uh, it was, a there's what a zinc the smelting a plant there and it was like on, uh, one of the bomb target lists during the second world war. So maybe there could have been some UFO activity there. Who knows? <laughs> could be. Could be.
3: <laughs> there was one other thing that you guys had mentioned in the email that I kind of want to just hit on very yeah. briefly. If yeah. you'll let me, I know I talk a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll go over it. you were talking about the homopolar, uh, machine. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, so you kind of had a question about the machine versus motor. It looked like, mm-hmm. uh, and just machine is just a very very basic term in which both motors and engines are included under. For sure, yeah. Uh, motors and engines being different things originally, but we kind of use it synonymous now. But what I thought was what I thought was interesting about that is that technology was invented in the very early 1800s. Mm-hmm. So the idea that a UFO of any type, whether it's futuristic human, multi-dimensional aliens from another you know era, using technology that we developed in the 1800s, seems flawed to me. <laughs> oh, no, 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 for, for sure. It wasn't so much, I guess, it, like well, using it, was, it exactly, but the mm, idea
0: that it was like there was a
1: guy that suggested that it could perhaps well, well it, it used comes from
0: the, the right? Yeah, the idea that there's no mechanical working like parts right. like that it would be that would account for the silence true that would yeah. account for the well
3: i would posit something to you guys on the silence thing mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of looking at advanced technologies of things that work without generating silence i think a far more uh reasonable solution is is muffling sound which we have great technology in doing today right oh. yeah i mean on top of we've got silent helicopters and have had them since the early 90s so, uh, I mean, we're but even I, here at NASA. What, we're doing technology on quieting sonic booms, right? And doing you know wave, sound waves that that counter the waves of what of kind sonic of what boom.
0: kind of altitude though? Like, how close would you be? Like, you'd you'd be able to hear that chopper at 500 feet, probably.
3: Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but they can come in pretty. <laughs> I mean, they land. It's really a distance that you are from them as opposed to the altitude. I see. From I ground. see. I see.
0: Huh. Okay. Well, then, no. I mean, that totally. That's that's interesting because we I've never like. I mean, we obviously assume that there's technologies like that in the military and things like that, right? Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, that th- that definitely would account for the vast majority of instances where it is at a certain altitude or distance and there's no sound. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. For me, it's, it's the like ones that two, come like real it. close. I mean. <laughs> it is,
0: a <laughs> yeah, like Charlie, like Charlie Red Star.
1: Yeah, Charlie, the didn't. friendly
0: UFO.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, Charlie was a weird one. I don't know what to think of Charlie. Actually,
3: maybe we should have Chris back for that. Oh yeah, (laughs)
1: shoot.
3: Yeah, send me out some information uh, a couple of days in advance, and and (laughs) have to look at it. Yeah, we'll talk to you again. (laughs) No, no days. A couple of minutes, (laughs) days, hours, (laughs) minutes, whatever.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, let's. Should we just get some final thoughts here? I guess. I mean, I I guess there was one other thing that sort of interested me. I think we touched on it right at the very beginning, but just Mm -hmm. the idea of like the shapes of different craft that have been cited over the years and we actually mentioned this in our uh, last week's episode the idea um rob christopherson from our strange skies made this joke a while back about the idea of the evolution of ufos as breakfast food so the discs (laughs) represent pancakes you know the cigar shaped objects are very akin (laughs) to breakfast sausages and then we obviously did cover the yeah i don't know
1: Hmm, bacon isn't that very
0: aerodynamic shape what about know. syrup? Right.
1: Mm.
0: And then we got oh, the that's donuts, the liquid, right? the
1: liquid molten the syrup. That's the syrup.
0: The liquid molten <laughs> syrup, yeah. No, but then we got the Sorry, donut shape on, from. <laughs> now you made me lose my point. Now I've now I've lost it. Now I'm just hungry for breakfast.
1: What was <laughs> the last <laughs> time you ate a donut for my
0: Hey, I bet a lot of people eat donuts for breakfast, just maybe not. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't eat donuts for breakfast. <laughs> I've totally lost my train
3: of thought
1: now. Oh, okay.
3: Shapes, shapes of things. Yeah, that's the all I remember. You're saying
1: the shapes.
3: No, I've lost it. Lost it completely. She gone. She gone. Oh, that's
1: all
3: okay. well, right. I know you were talking about earlier about how things generate. Like there's there's more efficient shapes. There's oh, more, that's there's what I was. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: The disc. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. So like, yeah. The, what what do you, what do you see as the most efficient shape out of the things that are sort of referenced in this field? I mean, we've got i mean the term flying saucer was a misnomer that came from kenneth arnold's sighting back in in the 40s um Mm. but then of course people had seen disc objects well before the 1900s like in the into the in the 1800s and then since then but then we've got a whole bunch of different random shapes i mean for you thinking about like realistic propulsion or whatever like what shape would make sense
3: well, I mean, it's interesting to think about that because really what comes down to be the most efficient shape depends on what your function is, right? And when mm-hmm. you're talking about a, a UFO craft, if you're assuming alien origin, then you're talking space in which, uh, you know, aerodynamics doesn't really matter at all. Right. And if you're talking about moving and hovering, aerodynamics also doesn't really play a big part of it. I mean, aerodynamics becomes... Uh, more important, the faster you go, right, in, right. A, in a direction. So, I mean, a disc is certainly a a better shape, but I would think that there are better shapes that you can come up with than just a uniform disc, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on direction and whatnot. But the other thing that's interesting is that spheres and discs tend to be the most natural forming uh, shapes in in non organic. By which I mean non-living, as opposed to the chemistry term, materials. Mm-hmm. So if you think about like the formation of planets, planets form, for the most part, spheres, because of how gravity and, and density work, right? Interesting. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why planets and stuff, and that's kind of what makes the definition of planets. When you get out to asteroids, they don't have enough mass to form these, these spheres. Right. But when you look at things like the uh, orbital plane of systems or galaxies, they tend to be more discus-shaped. Mm-hmm. Because of mass and the way that they're rotating, it kind of elongates them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some interesting things to look into there. With yeah, there's some with, so, there's uh, some. Cross you're bringing over there. up
1: all sorts of crazy ideas in my mind now. Like even like Horton hears a who. Like, are we <laughs> seeing what? <it>? I mean, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> this is well, totally, you know, like the idea that what if a UFO is an entire universe in and of itself, and mm-hmm. we're just seeing it? Like, you know, just like how Horton hears a who, it's like a universe is like a piece of speck of dust on a on a flower. Anyway, sorry that was (laughs) What
3: if they just spin spacecraft like we spin Pizza Crust?
1: Yeah. Okay, okay. I I have a question for you, Chris. (laughs) Now that we're on to this and this whole idea of like shapes and, and motions and things, I have this weird like idea that I've thrown out a few times on episodes. Where it almost seems as though in a lot of the cases, like especially with Charlie Redstar that we've looked at recently, he flies, he's mostly described as a disc shape or a ferris wheel shape, that type of thing, or a glowing ball. But he's usually flying at either between a 45 to 30 degree angle. So he's on a slant and he can move quite rapidly. And he almost like, like the descriptions remind me of a Frisbee's flight path. Like when you chuck a frisbee right. and it's, and it's flying that. at that angle, Yeah. what like do you have any thoughts on that? Like, is that like what would that be as far well, as there's like-
3: a term for those angles? It's called angle of attack, and it's oh. very prominent in aerodynamics and designing airplanes and how airfoils or wings work mm-hmm. and how okay. they generate lift. So what happens with as far as an airfoil goes uh, is you tilt the wing slightly so that you can create this this uh, angle of attack, even though that the airplane itself is Horizontal, so that gives it uh, ability to create lift. So if you put those those airfoils flat, or like say a frisbee, uh, in order to generate lift, you have to rotate the entire object at an angle uh, uh, with the horizontal motion, essentially in order to generate that lift. Mm -hmm. So I mean, if you if you have a circular object moving or a disc object moving forward, you can stay afloat by uh, by that lift that it's creating right yeah. if you are flat and not moving you're not generating lift so you have to have some other form mm-hmm. of power generation so if i were to buy on to this whole ufo disc shape thing and ignore you know every part of my being that says <laughs> no this isn't a thing uh, i would say that if you are traveling and you create that angle of attack you lessen how much you have to rely on this other power source to generate your flight mm. because you're just using basic lift principles so increasing efficiency
1: so. okay well, hmm. that makes some sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, Charlie, you know well, things. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have you ever, we should ask you, I mean, have you ever heard of that case before, the Charlie Red Star case? I have not. No. Yeah, no, it's, neither had we actually until relatively recently, but, yeah. uh.
1: But yeah. it was, yeah, it was just a UFO um, flap that occurred in Manitoba between the years of 1975 to 76. And it was seen, mm-hmm. like, on a nightly basis. And it was very yeah. strange because, like, like I described, there was that description of Charlie. and There was also descriptions where he was basically, like, bobbing, like, loafing along the ground. At, mm-hmm. or, or not along the ground, but he's, like, low, floating. But, but like, low, low to the ground and just kind of, like, mm-hmm. these weird sort of erratic motions and things like yeah. that. And it was documented on almost a nightly basis for, like, yeah. almost two years. And there's years. video
0: and photos and stuff in there. And there, mm-hmm. there was an account from two pilots as well. That was my favorite one from oh, that. Oh yes, where they were en route to Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and um, they essentially had the, Charlie come flying straight towards them, and they were in multiples. So in multiples, three. yeah, in, mm-hmm. yeah, it broke into three. And instead of they were about to maneuver, but it just went from heading straight towards them at at what they estimated was speed. the same rate of speed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. immediately reversed. Like, so didn't there was stop no stop. Or there was just going
1: from just forward going going to backwards, opposite direction,
3: which is just fascinating. Well, that kind of reminds me of the non-ballistic movements that you were talking, erratic movements that mm-hmm. you are talking yeah. about earlier, right? Yeah. So something that's interesting about those is the reason those look so unnatural to us is because even though, you know, you guys or anybody might not have an understanding of physics on the math level, mm-hmm. human beings, because we live in this environment, have an intuitive understanding of basic physics like momentum and those violate our ideas of momentum you know when somebody throws something (laughs) and you lose sight of it but then you can pick it up because your brain just instinctively knows where it's going to be Mm -hmm. it's kind of that sort of stuff yeah so (laughs) when you're talking about like these non you know these erratic movements I, i don't think that's so much an issue of the power generation as it is of some form of of stabilization and 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 fighting against kind of the the inertia right or the, you know whatnot or so.
0: maybe even just something to mess with perception so if like how <laughs> it could be you know like just so it seems as if it's changing pace at whatever but it's actually just our perception of it i don't know
1: mm. strange
0: anyway <laughs> i think we're we're I think we're getting
1: we're thoroughly confused. Okay. No, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah, at this
3: point it's just time to throw in the towel. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah,
1: <laughs> No. Well,
3: uh if you want at some other time to talk about the whole quantum locking levitation thing, I'm I'm happy to do that. But
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely.
3: You know, we'll probably end up
0: just uh I feel like we're on the UFO train these days. Kind of. So I feel like we're really gonna need I feel to feel like help. we
1: just need uh, to dig deeper and deeper and deeper yeah. and kinda just really acquaint ourselves with a lot of the literature and a lot of these. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this though, Chris. Like we really appreciate it again, man. And we'll definitely give you a little bit more heads up next time. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) And uh, And
1: we're going to review the the materials you sent us to like – yeah, I'm gonna to have to do a lot of uh, googling.
3: <laughs> sure,
1: sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll get through them, <laughs> and I'm obviously interestingly be enough <laughs> that
3: paper that I linked you—not the the basic one for school, but the one that's uh, published—is actually we were doing the experiments we were doing was for an energy flywheel system to operate as a power source in space. That's so, so that's neat. Kind of when I was reading related,
1: that, but... I immediately thought of Ed Leeds Galden and Coral Castle. I'm not sure how familiar you are with that, but uh-uh. we did an episode on that a few months ago, and a lot of the same stuff came up, right? Because there's this idea that he was using a flywheel to generate this um, strange um, anti-gravity field <laughs> like that he, he was, was using to lift huge... R- th- yeah, <laughs> the
0: <laughs> idea is that he was like reorienting the electromagnetic... like Yeah, just reorienting the the electrons of an object so that he could then
1: lift it, lift and it. essentially levitate it <laughs> yeah that was the idea mm-hmm. but anyways that was a whole nother can of worms that we were thoroughly <laughs> confused by as well but yeah i think we definitely want to keep looking into it and we'll re- reach out to you
3: well you know how to get a hold of me oh yeah <laughs> cool man sounds good we'll, we'll talk to you soon <laughs> all right bye take care
1: all righty wow that was interesting yeah
0: that was yeah <laughs> Bringing us back down to earth, for sure. Yeah. It's always nice to have Chris on. We, we love bringing him on. It's great. He's
1: just got so much more knowledge than us. Like, I I love to lean on him for things like this, because it's stuff that would take us weeks and weeks of research, if not years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, a whole, a whole undergrad plus a, a master's plus a PhD, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, he's a lot more... Uh,
0: um, he's in the upper echelon there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But I mean, no, like what what stood out to you? I mean, like it, uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny, right? Like I was all jazzed up about the shape of the potential magne- uh, magneto hydrodynamic generators as a potential power source for UFOs because you had found that image, and we mentioned and it. It looks, Dickress, like and it looks like a UFO. It looks it's like that, a UFO. It's got that disc, but it doesn't
1: have the the fuel inputs, right?
0: So, I mean, the only thing that I could think of that was similar was, again, Maury Island incident where we have the disc donut-shaped craft that obviously have sort of a a center that isn't the same as a regular flying Mm -hmm. saucer, so to speak, Mm -hmm. which, of course, is a misnomer, we know.
1: Exactly. But, you know, now that I think about it a little bit further here, even if there isn't the external inputs... These craft are sometimes described as as big of a barn, or like they're huge, they're huge right? Hundred yeah. feet across, that type of thing. Yeah. So you might think that they would have storage tanks for this material, these input materials that are used to um, generate power. And right. Fuel. So it doesn't
0: need the same obvious input outtake.
1: Yeah. Right. But then you obviously need an uh, output. So right. that's where you get these random depositions of these slag-like materials or these alloys, that type of thing. Right. Very
0: curious. Yeah, because presumably there would still have to be a, like, well, and that's what we get in the Maury Island. It's just a straight ejection as if it's like, yep, time to get rid of this, you know, like time to dump some space garbage because we've used it all up.
1: Exactly. Um, And that's why, again, like, yeah, Valet touches on that too. It's like, well, what, like, presumably, um, these materials don't have a finite, or sorry, the infinite life. So therefore, once their use is, yeah, like they're half-lifes
0: up or whatever. Exactly.
1: Then perhaps they're, you know, you need to lighten the load Yeah, get rid of her.
0: Now, he did make the comment as well. It's like, you know, it was kind of interesting too because we sort of just like blindsided him a little bit with the interdimensional hypothesis angle of all this. Because <laughs> for, like in his mind, like he deals with, like he works, works at NASA and so he's dealing with stuff that's very like, okay, you know, what sort of... Um, what sort of, you know, fuel and, like, beta decay is going to be used for XYZ to launch this rocket, right? And it's very specific and it, the type of motion is very, you know, the propulsion is very specific, you know what I mean? So it's like when we get into talking about, like, non-ballistic motion and mm. propulsion systems that are, I mean, I don't even know. I'm getting lost even in my own mind oh, just totally. talking about it. but
1: Oh, yeah, in our layman brains. But I
0: just feel like, I feel like, yeah. I'm definitely leaning towards the idea that liquid metals in a vape in a, or in a vapor form are being used or as a fuel source or near vapor form because or you near vapor these form
1: liquid sort of injections, but again, yeah, like it it comes down to a whole number of factors that may or may not the technologies might not be related, but we we didn't really get too far into uh, the idea of superconductors. And that type of thing is, like, maybe explaining some of the erratic motions of spacecraft. Like, what if they themselves are superconducting? So, they defy gravity in a certain degree, right? And we do have examples of superconductors in real life, right? Like, superconducting right. trains that literally levitate on their platform yeah. and are propelled forward by that. And then you get these things where it's, like, um, oh, what's it called? Like, quantum blocking. Yes. So, things like that were... Uh, yeah. things are being
0: held in like we'll exactly. we'll post some videos and stuff if, if you if uh, oh, for, totally. for people listening haven't like watched any of that before or heard of quantum locking i mean obviously it's crazy complicated and we're not going to get into it but yeah at the super sh-
1: low temperature some um some f- materials <laughs> i'll just call them that for the sake of whatever some materials will actually seemingly defy gravity but they're actually being repulsed by the magnetic field that's present yeah because of the low temperature, this is such a bad explanation, but... You just
0: got to go watch some of it. Like, we'll post it. We'll make sure that, like, we have multiple videos and, posted. And we already
1: got into some of this stuff again with the Ed leeds We did, actually, yeah. And Rock Gate that yes. type of thing. So, again, it's kind of like a revisitation for us and just a way to even confuse us even further.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the point of it is, though, is like... And we didn't get into it with Chris, but, like, quantum locking, quantum levitation would explain, at least in our minds, the... It's something similar to like the way that these things move in non ballistic motion. Mm -hmm. So it's like things will be stuck in a spot in quantum locking, right? Like you've got, you can tilt, you can tilt an object on Mm. a 45 degree angle and it stays in that position hovering off the ground. And we see that with UFOs. They're traveling at a thousand miles an hour and then stopped instantly and then back the other way.
2: Exactly. Well, how do
0: you, there's, we deal with, things like momentum as humans, right? Like we have these, we have these, um, very, like Chris mentioned it. Like we have these very basic sort of concepts of physics and when things don't match up within that, obviously they stand out, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's important. That's a significant thing, right? Just because it's like we operate within a certain understanding of how the world works, it's like, okay, that means if we're seeing something not like that, it's gotta be from somewhere else,
1: Oh, totally, and that brings up an important idea, because Chris brought this up, idea that it makes little sense for a UFO to be employing technologies originating from the 1800s, Which is
0: this generator.
1: But but in my mind, it's like, that could almost be explained away as like a limitation of our own understanding of reality. Like you said, our own epistemological premises, right. ways of knowing, right? right? That's the basic uh, definition of epistemology is yes. your way of knowing that like these premises that are almost impossible to get outside of. So we had the suggestion and Chris brought it up the idea that it could be a homopolar machine Um, and that would be originating in the 1800s, right? Right. The late 1800s as a form of technology that he thinks like, well, this is an advanced life form. That doesn't make any sense. Why are they using these primitive blah, 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 blah. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself like, no, this is just a way for us to categorize something that we have no way of categorizing, right? It's a way to suggest something that's similar enough that we can start to understand it. Yeah. But it's just a very primitive crude and probably doesn't fit the mold. It's like trying to fit a cube inside of a circle. Yeah like you're not gonna gonna work. you're trying to fit a three-dimensional object into a two-dimensional shape
0: (laughs) why isn't this working it's (laughs) It's not gonna work that's what i feel like my life is a lot of the time (laughs) i'm just trying to fit (laughs) three-dimensional shapes
1: the universe is not a (laughs) bowl
0: no it's not
1: anyway, anyway so it's just like it's these presuppositional frameworks that we work within when we are trying to compare and explain the unexplainable in order to understand things You know, if that makes sense. And not just word jumble. No,
0: no, I get, no, I got, I got you. I got that.
1: Another interesting thought that he brought up was the idea that instead of thinking of noise, uh, noiseless technology, think of noise canceling technology. Right.
0: Yeah. Because one of the biggest things for me is the fact that like, yeah, you've got an object that's the size of a barn that's producing light, but Mm -hmm. doesn't produce any sound. That unless it's below our,
1: uh, below our level of below the free, Yeah, it's like and I've suggested that before, like infrasound, that type of thing.
0: And, of, and and almost certainly, there's been instances where these craft are producing infrasound because it is making people unsettled at a level that's beyond. Like, because some people mm-hmm. will just be in awe and shock when they yeah. see something like that. Other people will be absolutely petrified. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that must have something to do with that.
1: Yeah. So I kind of I thought that was an interesting tidbit. I went on my little computer after that and did some researching, and I found a real-life example from a Swedish fan company called Rotosub. And so they are producing noise-canceling technology that solves the problem at the source, is how they advertise it. It makes... Okay, so this is a quote from them. It says, this technology makes the rotating fan blades themselves into an anti-noise speaker. So it's a, the CEO says that by modulating the angle of attack of the blades very slightly, the rotosub generates sound with the same phase structure as the noise, the same position and radiation pattern. So, again, this does, um, it's not a be-all, end-all. It doesn't cancel it out entirely, but it does muffle it significantly. Right. And it does depend on your orientation to the fan itself. Yeah. But, very interesting, okay, the angle of attack, we get that with, this technology, yeah. we got that with the interview with Chris, because remember when I brought that up, I was like, yeah. oh, what about this whole Frisbee, the analogy of the Frisbee that I keep throwing out there?
2: Yeah. He's <laughs> chucking out
1: Frisbee. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, and he said like, oh, it has to be with the angle of attack, like, and that is the most optimal plane, so it's the most uh, efficient way of traveling, right. all that type of thing. Right. But this is being applied to fan technology, and apparently the CEO, Lars Strombeck, um, wants to upscale it. He wants to go to turbo fans, and he wants to... Go Air into trip. aircraft technology, that type of thing. He wants aircraft engine manufacturers to—they're—they're already interested and they're going to be working with him, right? In producing these sorts of things. So, if this is happening in the mainstream with um, a firm like this, what is happening in, you know, things in another
0: like, dimension that's more advanced,
1: or <laughs> or just in military laboratories? Or anything.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. You don't know. Yeah, no, it's um, I mean, at, at the end of the to be day, like though, the, like
1: I'm just—I I keep going back to like almost being just the um the conspiracy person now
0: <laughs> well it's easy to fall the into most that
1: mundane explanation is the conspiracy obviously, <laughs> obviously the
0: one thing that is like kind of distinctive about this though is the is like this is mechanical movement to produce energy right so it's mm-hmm. like a fan moving so chris had the example of like a silent like a chopper like you know what I mean like military choppers that are really quiet obviously there's stealth jets and stuff like that and I get that. It's
1: probably the same technology, though, because it's it's a rot It's
0: like a it's, turbine, like, going exactly. through. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. This is mechanical movement, though. And the idea of maybe perhaps using some vaporized metal or liquid metal as a, as a fuel source so for non, propulsion is... Non-moving parts. Well, like, the MDH it's generator has no moving parts. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's the idea that there's no there's friction fluid. and heat caused by mechanical movement. Yeah. Which is also interesting, though, because it's, like, if these UFOs are potentially using a similar idea, like, no mechanical movement for generation, which would allow for quiet, you know, movement and stuff, but they produce light. And for us, it's, like, light—heat produces light. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, those two things don't necessarily match up, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're down a rabbit hole here, right? And we're not Ugh. really, like, here to give you guys any, like, solutions no. or conclusions. This is just a fun conversation about multiple UFO encounters that left material evidence. And it's, like, mm-hmm. it's weird.
1: Yeah, it is bizarre. And even, like, you know, Valet—he's not he's not trying to give you answers either to a certain extent. He's no. just trying to create a space where, like, scientific... Um, sort of means can be applied to this phenomena yeah and he even says that this is a quote from his article he says the analysis supports the thesis that an unidentified phenomenon has been repeatedly observed in various parts of the world over a long period and that it manifests through a physical material support that is amenable to scientific study
2: huh.
1: on the other hand The patterns observed in the composition of the samples at our disposal do not point to any clear hypothesis for the nature of the phenomenon. Hmm. So he's not saying either way. He's not saying, like, this is clearly interdimensional. This is clearly extraterrestrial. It's clearly military. It's clearly anything, which I like, right? Because he's just, that to me is a lot more legitimate than trying to just, you know, pigeonhole and be like, this is the solution right here.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. It gives it... No, I, I really enjoyed his article.
1: I really did, too. And I too. hope that people
0: listening will go take a take a peruse through it, because it's really it's really well done.
1: It really sure. is, yeah. And if you have any points that we kind of, like, missed from it, too, like, we'd really love to hear your take on it. Because there's so much of this, right? Like, there was this guy... Um, what was his name? Uh, oh, it was, like, B A Or R.J. Bumby of the University of Durham. And he talks about how this... um these liquid metals would have high conductivity and it makes them an attractive means for homopolar machines. Yeah, right. And so a homopolar machine or a motor is a a DC, so it's direct current motor, and it produces a constant circular motion. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> Which to me is completely lost. I'm just like, I don't even get what that means. But it, he says here that the, they could be superconducting or non-superconducting. So I'm like, oh, superconductors, oh superconductors. my goodness, oh my goodness. I'm just going to grab onto that word because I know what it means.
2: Sort
1: of. <laughs> sort of, not really. But yeah, like we, we mentioned, um, superconductors, like they they defy the... Magnetic field and almost seem as though they are levitating Mm -hmm. as a result
0: because of such low temp. You had this (coughs) question, you added Mm -hmm. in here. It's like, well, could this could a similar effect be achieved, perhaps with either materials that we've just never worked with on that level, or Mm -hmm. you know, non terrestrial materials that would achieve the same effect Mm -hmm. to be able to get this quantum locking, quantum levitation, or at least how we perceive it. Yeah, to allow for non ballistic motion. UFO
1: is literally. A generator, or it's a superconducting homopolar motor of sorts. Can this explain the erratic motions, like non ballistic, as well as the ability to float noiselessly? And we see these properties displayed in um, quantum locking videos of superconducting materials, levitation, that type of thing. Yeah. I just. I feel like it's
0: gotta. I mean.
1: It's gotta be involved. It's
0: it's gotta be something. Either that, that,
1: or we're all just tripping balls. We're all just seeing stuff that's not really there. <laughs> Who knows? Because I don't think all these people are lying, man. I no, not I don't not think at so. All. Not at and all. And honestly, like, I know you haven't really brought up your experience on the show, per se. Yeah. But you've experienced it.
0: Yeah, like, should I just give a brief? I mean, yeah, like, I'll, I'll probably save the full thing for, like, a Patreon episode mm-hmm. or something. But, I mean, I definitely had... Uh, like a sighting, I guess you'd call it, that was similar to um, the one in Ohio with a very bright light. Mm. Um, so this was over uh, Christina Lake, British Columbia. And yeah, basically just out of nowhere, perfectly spherical, looked like the moon, except it wasn't the moon. So um, it was
1: a white light?
0: Wh- yeah, like a whitish yellow light.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: My cousin and I were sitting there. We thought that it was somebody just messing around. Like we were like, oh, we were younger, but it's like, oh, it's a spotlight or I don't know, something. There's mm-hmm. no drones around back then. Uh definitely wasn't a spotlight there was no originating light source and it just zipped around in non-ballistic motion there's way more to the story than that but it basically came closer to us went away from us and and was flying erratically and freaked us out that's
1: Uh, crazy i'll
0: give them i'll give the full story another time so yeah so
1: it was non-ballistic it was silent dead silent
0: and clearly how
1: big would you say it was
0: well at its closest point when it came like like it was probably like Maybe four hundred meters out into the lake from like where we were sitting on the deck and it probably would have been <clears throat> fifty feet. Hmm. Fifty to hundred feet. Whoa.
2: Big? Like, like around?
0: Yeah, like it literally looked like the moon was like flying towards us and then Crazy. away from us. Like it was weird. Huh. And i never seen it again, but uh, had a few other strange occurrences at, around the same location. Mm-hmm. Definitely would like to do a bonus episode uh, to tell people about that. That's
1: so neat. We should just have, like, everyone submit their own personal sightings if they have one.
0: Please and do. Then... Yeah, if you guys have sightings, yes, please send them in. We will definitely cover them. Mm-hmm. Like, do an audio recording and send in the audio, uh, or e- or you can email us with the full story. We would love to hear it. Yeah. Love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do you have any kind of concluding thoughts on this?
1: Conclusions. No.
0: <laughs> are we kind of getting close to the end here or what? Well
1: <laughs> Well. I don't know. We again, like we definitely touched on the idea that there are these MHD generators, so that's the um magnetohydrodynamic generators. Yes. So that was another sort of um alternative idea put forth by Valet and Jay Roser. Yeah. Um as, as instead of the homopolar machine idea right um so anyways like roser he speculated that a closed cycle MHD generator so again closed cycle like we mentioned right so there's no input parts no. but it could it would have that disk shape that's yes. the most efficient shape yeah. of these generators it looks like a freaking ufo Anyway, so he says here a closed cycle using generator using a liquid metal working fluid with no vapor staging pumping could be configured in a torus or circular shape which would make very little noise due to the lack of moving parts. And there so that, he proposes this idea that beta decay could allow for um, the extraction of power, and that's where Chris kind of had issue with it, cause he's like, this isn't a very... He said that it's not a very efficient means of travel interstellarly, right? right? But what if this is terrestrial in nature? What if we're talking What if we're not going far distances with this? Yeah. So that could potentially be an alternative argument to that. Yes. But anyways, um, Roser, he, again, he speculates that this depleted fluid might need to be occasionally injected or sorry, ejected,
0: injected,
1: (laughs) Injected, ejected. So the discarded material would contain aluminum, phosphorus, iron, um, plus isotopes that were close, um, of nuclei close to aluminum and phosphorus. Sorry. Um, including magnesium. Oh, I wish I knew more of the, um, (laughs) for na what's na in the periodical oh god don't test me this don't don't i haven't
0: oh no anyways we're
1: we're terrible we're not chemistry people but
0: i got i think a c minus in chem 11 i
1: didn't even take it because i knew i'd fail
0: yeah (laughs) i mean i didn't try very hard but but anyway so
1: (laughs) these waste materials do align much more closely with the material samples analyzed in the article so to me again like i'm just i'm just gonna throw it out there like what if that could be used but
0: (laughs) Yes, so absolutely.
1: We're not saying it is. We're just saying maybe. 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 What are your conclusions, though? Like, do you think yeah. that this points to IDH as opposed to inter- extraterrestrial? Sorry.
0: You know, so I interdimensional thought, versus extraterrestrial. Like when we first started talking about this and we were going through the article and stuff, I definitely thought that it would, but it it didn't compel me that way in the same to the same level that I thought it was going to. Although I definitely still lean that way. I do not think that. That although I think that the idea of extraterrestrials is possible, that there's that there's very likely other uh, intelligent life that could mm-hmm. travel interstellarly on a planet that's either either they're carbon or um, yeah, either their life form similar to us or not, but they are traveling. Interst- I think that's a possibility, mm-hmm. but I don't think that accounts for even remotely like. The, the smallest fraction of any sort of sight, And I don't think it's nuts and bolts craft coming from crazy distances. I feel like it is more metaphysical mm. and that is directly linked to the interdimensional hypothesis. Mm. And that explains why the I materials feel, are terrestrial.
1: I feel. <laughs> We're so unscientific.
0: <laughs> well, it just...
1: I got a gut feeling here, man. Okay,
0: it, no, it, it makes sense on on so many levels with multiple different events. And like, I keep coming back to Mothman, but it's like Mothman and and the Braxton County instance and all these different things... They have the same sort of trace elements mm, of this. Mm-hmm. And then with Mothman, you have the the future predictions and things mm, like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, and we talked about the idea of craft with matching up claps, 50 to 100 years ahead in technological advancement. Yeah. Right? I think it's us from the future.
1: I kind of, I'm leaning that way too, a little bit. A little bit. And yeah, that lady doesn't make any... Conclusions that are conclusive conclusions. That makes sense. That'd (laughs) be a great
0: title for a book.
1: Conclusive conclusions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) By calling conclusive.
1: But he does appear optimistic for comparative research in the future, as long as researchers are not stubborn in only accepting the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Yeah. And he does address this, this idea that it's a narrowly polarized community, um, and there's advocates and adversaries of each theory, you know what I mean? So...
0: Yeah. I feel like this is, like, you know what, I I don't know why, I just had Scott from from, uh, Astonishing Legends pop into my head with, like, the, the... What's the, uh, the theory called where it's like everything, like all the grand unifying paranormal theory, because it's like, this makes me think of Skinwalker Ranch too, in terms of like testing for certain like residues and like things left behind from weird stuff happening. You know what I mean? Well,
1: exactly. But it's funny because obviously he does belong to this other camp, right? The, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) the, um, interdimensional camp. Hmm. And he says here, this is a quote from him, he says, This fixation on the extraterrestrial hypothesis has narrowed and impoverished the debate, precluding examination of other possible theories of the phenomenon. To the extent that recovered samples did not show an exotic composition or a complex structure supporting their preconceived hypothesis, both sides of the extraterrestrial argument lost interest in the case. In the cases, sorry. In the view that the present author, um, in the view of the present author, sorry, such lack of follow-up is unfortunate because much could be learned from comparative analysis of such material, even if it is mundane. And so he says here, therefore, our hope is that future field research may be stimulated by the publication of this present survey. I hope it has. I hope it has too, really. This was
0: 98, we said at the beginning, right?
1: Yeah, so. So it's been,
0: it's been it's like, 20 years.
1: Why like Y2K, man.
0: Yeah. Well.
1: <laughs> well, it's kind of
0: hard to really have to draw to a close here on this episode just because it is so broad.
1: It really does. Like, oh, well, there's a few questions we could throw out there. Like, you know, like yeah, how it's... much validity does his approach hold with us, for example? Like, do you think that this is... I feel like I already illuminated my perspective on it. Like, I think he takes feel a like, very good approach to it.
0: Well, I feel like it's like when you're looking at this type of stuff, it's hard to be any more legitimate than the way he's gone about it, right? Like, you can't yeah. really be more objective than this. Unless you're
1: just going to be a straight skeptic.
0: Yeah, and but but skeptics are just as bad as conspiracy as believers, exactly. Because they disregard things, right? Mm-hmm. So... No, I feel like it was a very open interpretation of um, of very real events. And, like, he said that that was the first criteria. It was, like, events that actually have a strong indication that they actually happened, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because there's a billion different UFO stories out there.
1: Exactly.
0: And Chris made the comment, too. It's like, he lives in, I think, Northern California, he mm-hmm. said, or whatever. I mean, obviously, the, UFO, the number of UFO sightings that come out of that state, <laughs> like, nowadays is ridiculous it's crazy and of course it has to do with drones and military technology and all this different stuff i don't even know how i i do not envy the ufologist in 2018
1: no it's rough man
0: yeah it's a rough go tough go <laughs> would have been a lot easier in the 40s yeah
1: yeah seemingly
0: well maybe in maybe. certain ways
1: they probably say the opposite though <laughs> yeah. you're like excuse me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah i guess that pretty much wraps her up there yeah. um Obviously, we want to know what all of you guys thought about this episode, and if you have any, even, like, like if you have any knowledge of cases that we haven't really touched on that would be totally relevant to the discussion, yeah, like we trace want to hear evidence. about them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If there was evidence left behind or anything like and that. And we want to know what
0: you think in general, too. Are you mm. leaning interdimensional? Are you leaning extraterrestrial? Does it depend Is on... Is it nuts
1: and bolts craft? Yeah. Nuts and bolts craft? Sorry, I yeah. can't talk to does it it, yeah
0: like do what and what do you guys think of the idea of using metal as a fuel source yeah that would lead to these byproducts i'm really curious to see what you guys think about that
1: me too so hit
0: us up on facebook twitter wherever you wherever you want to reach out um, so yeah, you can always find it. and join the group. If you guys aren't uh, in our Facebook group, if you do have Facebook, come, come join it. I mean, it's like no pressure at all. It's a super fun chat yeah. in there. Even
1: if you just want to just watch and, yeah. you know, you don't have There's that some fun comment. conversations,
0: people throw out some really cool ideas for things. And, uh, we've got some listener, uh, episode stuff coming up. So we're still taking suggestions and we've had some amazing ones so far. <gasps> so many, so many cool ideas. I feel ideas. like we have material like, oh now God. for like, Oh, we're set. I do not even know. We're set. Like we had, I felt like we were just, we're on the UFO train and we found this really cool article. We really wanted to do this episode, mm-hmm. but it's like, man, is there some cool ideas. And that posted in the group, like, yeah, yeah, we've got content for years. <laughs> years awesome. and
1: years. It's a bright future. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So anyway, thank you so much again for listening uh, to this episode and we will uh, catch you next week on Into mm-hmm. the World.
1: Until then.